Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina Tuesday morning, May 24th, 843-661-0937. Today is election day. It's 21 days before the South Carolina primary, but it's election day, a primary day in, let me get this straight, Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia, Minnesota, and then a special election in Texas that includes the Bush, um, the nephew of George W. Bush, the son of Jeb Bush is running against a um, an ethically flawed uh, sitting AG, and I think his name's Paxson, Jim Paxson, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he'll kill him. Uh, it'll be the first time, if I'm not mistaken, that a Bush is one. Excuse me, a Bush is lost statewide in Texas since 1964. So 57 years, 58 years um, since a Bush is lost statewide in Texas, and he's going to get killed, not literally, figuratively. In, uh, in political speak. Good morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. I didn't even exchange pleasantries yeah. this morning. You had stuff on your mind. Well, I mean, I, a lot of things on my mind yeah. today. Uh, and I guess we're talking about today's uh, primary election. Do we have any final results from a week ago's primary election out of Pennsylvania? Is today, Oz the guy or not? Well, I mean, I'll give you an example, okay? I'll give you not, not an example, but the latest count. Okay. Um, yesterday, when we sat behind the microphone uh, after another Braves loss, uh, Dr. Oz had 418, 500. Yeah, there you Too go, Yana. He's got his uh, Phillies hat and his Phillies shirt Too on soon. Uh, this morning. This hey, Yana, how far is Freehold from Philadelphia? Okay. But it's pretty close into Philadelphia. Okay. How far is Freehold from New York City? Bigger city takes longer to, to, to get there. So Philly is, uh, excuse me, um, Yano rocking his um his Phillies attire. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks a lot. What are we, I'm just asking a question. It, it, we put it on Facebook, or someone put it. Is, <laughs> oh, is oh. it um is it a bigger <laughs> fluke that mm-hmm. the Braves only won one World Championship in that 14 year run, or they they actually won a championship last year? Guys, this <laughs> team is, if I'm not mistaken, in its last 200 games, it's about eight or nine or ten games over 500 over? i mean just kind of put that in your hat and stew on it for Under. a second uh no over they were 88 and 73 yet last year oh that's 15 oh. games above 500 this year they're what four games under 500 um that's not a championship caliber team and i think i'm beginning to fall into the camp of if you'd asked me this week ago uh, maybe the beginning of the year i would have said it's a bigger fluke that the braves didn't win but one world championship during that crazy run they had. No, I think this is a bigger fluke that the Braves did win uh, a world championship last year. And I'm, I'm, I'm a Braves fan. Grew up a Braves fan. Uh, I'm, I'm excited they won a championship last year. But this team just has issues. I mean, I'm not sure I know what the issues are. Um, there's one common denominator. Uh, Rev, you ready? What is mm-hmm. the common denominator? The Braves win a bunch of games when Ronald Acuna is not in the lineup. Go figure. I don't have any idea. How about that primary in Georgia today? Well, I mean, to... I'm just saying. I mean, a kid that has electric yeah, talent, right. but when he's in the lineup, um, they become the look at me Braves. Um, how much? How many yellow um, batting? I mean, how much yellow batting? What am I trying to say here? Equipment to? Um, yeah, the the flashy equipment. He looks like a canary and, when he goes yeah. to the plate. Um, and I'm telling you, he's just one of these kids. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And when we're looking at him, I mean, he's got unbelievable talent. I mean, his raw talent, no question about it. But look at the Braves' record 
with Ronald Acuna in the lineup and then look at the Braves record with Ronald. And there's pretty decent body work now. Um, when he gets hurt last year, um, they kind of go on a run. They play team ball. It's not about look at me, look at me, look at me. But when he's in the lineup, they just simply don't win. And I think right now they're four games under 500 at about the um, the quarter post mark of the, the season. Um, the Mets may be good enough to build a substantial. I mean, I think the Braves end up at a 500 baseball team-ish somewhere there. Not about. playing like they did yesterday. Well, I mean, they what? did the same thing last year. Fielding mistakes. It's just hard to catch lightning in a bottle two consecutive years. I mean, it's just, that's just, and that's the flukiness of this. I mean, the Dodgers are about what you expect the Dodgers to be, right? I mean, they're 10 or 12 games over 500 about a quarter of the way into the season. Why? Because the Dodgers are just a real good baseball team. I know the Braves beat them last year. Anything can happen in a short series, but the Dodgers throughout this period, I mean, they're a little bit like the Braves. I mean, they're just a good baseball team. And I'm talking about the Braves of that 14-year run. You win a bunch of baseball games because you're normally a good baseball team. So the Braves of that 14-year run won a bunch of baseball games, and it wasn't rocket scientists. They were just a really good baseball team. They're just not a good baseball team. And I think to believe they can catch lightning in a bottle two consecutive years, ah, that's asking a mighty lot. I don't know anybody that's done it consecutively. I mean, the Florida Marlins won a championship when they were only about eight or nine games over 500. Uh, so since the advent of the wild card, things like that happen. I mean, you get a short series and you get a hot pitcher or catch a break or two. Um, but but I think the Braves need to address whatever it is uh, with Acuna. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, I think he's a an electric talent, but they just don't play well with him in the lineup. And I think his their record with him in the lineup is below 500. Their record with him out of the lineup is significantly above 500. There's that common denominator. Um, well, he's he's got you know he's got a fast bat and he does this and he does that. He's five two player and okay, yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that. But they don't win with him in the lineup. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. So going back to the numbers in Pennsylvania. Um, yesterday, Oz had four hundred eighteen five thirty five. McCormick had four seventeen four sixty five. Today. Uh, says 418,738, so an increase of 203 votes. Um, uh, McCormick went from 417,465 to 417,751. Um, that gets him inside of 1,000, but it's about 987 votes behind. There ain't enough outstanding. I said it Wednesday, Thursday, I think Thursday of last week is when I said, I just don't, I mean, there are enough ballots out there. What, what got misconstrued in all of this was when some media outlet said there's somewhere between 30 and 50,000 ballots outstanding in Pennsylvania. And there is, but the overwhelming majority of those ballots were in Philadelphia. Imagine Philadelphia having a problem recording or reporting, um, and that's where they still are. I mean, the majority of outstanding ballots are still in Philadelphia, and they're going to be largely Democrat. So, so when I said, because uh, someone challenged me, said he's only got a couple of thousand votes lead or vote lead, and there's 50,000 ballots outstanding, uh, they hadn't dug the next step to find out where the ballots are. And as expected, they're in Philadelphia or in the Philadelphia metropolitan area, home of the Philadelphia Phillies, who are on a one-game winning streak over the Atlanta Braves mm. uh, last night. Uh, a whooping. I think it was a whooping last night. It was 7-1 to one or something like that when I went to bed. Um, but uh, what was it? Hit up what seven to three, seven to three. Yeah. Okay, still a whooping. Yeah. It was seven really. to nothing for a while. Yeah, for about painful. six innings. That's when I kind of I think the Braves scored a run in the sixth inning, fifth or sixth inning. That's when I said 
Um, no mas. Enough of this, as Bert, Roberto Duran famously said. Watch. With Sugar Ray Leonard. For me. So, um, so yeah. Mike liked it, I'm sure. We're, we're at less than 1,000 votes in Pennsylvania. Um, and and I, I they're probably hitting 100, couple of hundred outstanding Republican votes. So um, Oz is going to win the primary, the automatic recount. The deadline for certification is today. Um, I don't know how that plays out in the case of an automatic recount. Um, you don't certify until you have the automatic recount. Does the automatic recount start today? I would imagine it will at some point in time, uh, today or tomorrow. And the certification will probably come by the end of the week. Um, that's kind of the way I see this playing out. So, yeah, I mean, I think Oz is safely in as the nominee. I mean, he's nearly 1,000 votes. And we said yesterday it'll probably end up somewhere between 500 and 1,000 votes. It ended up closer to 1,000 uh, votes. The Democrats are still calculating, but they've got their guy. Their guy got 54% of the vote. Um, that's that's done with. So so the um, the 20,000 or 10,000 or whatever outstanding in Philadelphia today really doesn't impact nor affect who's going to be the um, the nominee, Fetterman. Um, you know, the guy with the, where's the hoodie tatted up, mm-hmm. um, had a stroke and a pacemaker put in uh, on election day. Yeah, how's that? Uh, you're a damn good candidate when you win the race, uh, laid up in a hospital bed, uh, getting a pacemaker installed because you had some sort of um, stroke. I, I didn't know that a stroke leads to a to a pacemaker, um, but I don't know much about strokes nor pacemakers. Um, happily and thankfully, mm-hmm. I don't know much about strokes and pacemakers. But um, so you got Oz in Pennsylvania. Um, the Trump machine is going to take it on the chin today. Uh, my daughter's leaving today at about 10 o'clock this morning, going to Atlanta. She's going to be in Atlanta today, tomorrow, and Thursday. Coming back home um, Thursday, kind of spur of the moment. It's kind of interesting, Rev, to watch my daughter. Um, she's real organized. I mean, she really is. So to, to be her age, she's always been. I mean, I've told you this. Um, th- that's why two husbands will probably jump off bridges <laughs> at some point in time uh, <laughs> during her lifespan. Um, she's just... She's just real disciplined and organized about things, and she's in the world of politics, and there's nothing organized about it. She sends me a screenshot yesterday of uh, uh, copies me on a screenshot that she gets from Trafalgar. Um, Can you be in Atlanta by 2 o'clock Tuesday afternoon? Uh, She's like, what? I said, well, I told you, you're not working for a Fortune 500 company. But this is not the way politics rolls. Um, It's very unpredictable. It's not 9 to 5. It's not... You know, every day is the same. When you're in politics, it's hard to distinguish the weekend from the weekdays. You may be off Tuesday and Wednesday uh, working all weekend. It's just the nature of um, of the beast. And uh, and I, I like to watch her. I mean, I don't like to watch her struggle with that. But it's kind of it's kind of funny to me to watch um, someone who likes to be so planned and well, organized. The, the unexpected yeah, stuff. Yeah, and all of a sudden she gets a text in the middle of the afternoon. Well, that's and, kind of business, too. I mean, it, it is. But when she's, when she's 18. So she's not, you know, accustomed to that. I mean, the world centers around her, you know. I mean, she, you know, you know how 18-year-olds are, right? I mean, the world, you oh, know, yeah. they are the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. And um, and and shame on us for allowing them to to believe that. But, uh, but I, yeah, I've enjoyed watching her, you know, because her text or her, excuse me, her screenshot to me is like, can you believe this? I mean, she doesn't say it, but I know she's saying it under her breath. Can you believe this? I mean, can you believe there's there's this little organization and this little uh, th- this little planning, and I'm like, it's politics. I mean, it's politics. Go to Georgia. Um, they're going to, I think, the, the Kemp event. They're going to the Purdue event. They're going to the Herschel Walker event. 
um, they'll make their rounds because they work for these people. That's what I've tried to explain to her. Um, you do what the people who pay you uh, pay you to do. And they've done a lot of polling in Georgia with the Republican Party, the Freedom Caucus, um, the Georgia GOP. And, you know, that's where they got to go. Now, Trafalgar is located in Atlanta, so she'll see their, their um, I, I guess, their North American slash global headquarters. Um, I do believe that we'll have some Trafalgar numbers. A little later that I anticipated, they had some things happen in Georgia that they got more involved in, and South Carolina waited a day or two. So I think uh, I think some of the data has been collected, but I think it'll be made known public by the end of the week. That's my that's my source. I mean, I think by the end of the week, we'll have some numbers on uh, on the 7th Congressional District that, that we don't have yet. And I still find that a bit odd. Um, there was a poll out in the field last week. Um, I don't want to say who put the poll out, but I know who did because it's eerily similar to other polls that that consultant has done. It was very, very, very similar to what this guy does historically, um, but it's not for me to say. I mean, if they want to make it public, they can make it public. I'm certainly not going to do that. But um, but the poll was done by a candidate in this field, and the person who runs that candidate's campaign, I'm familiar with the systematic way that they gather data, and it was eerily similar to the point that it was their poll. I mean, <laughs> I, I got a good idea that it was um, it was actually their poll. And, um, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday, uh, the Georgetown mill site. And we're talking about the steel mill and what to do or what not to do and, and who should decide that. Why does a congressman need to even be versed in and what to do there? You know, Rev, the, um, I went to get my contacts yesterday and uh, get these 90-day subscriptions of contacts. And the person, I walk in there and they say, okay, did their arms out. I'm, what are we going to do? I said, what do you mean, what are we going to do? In the 7th Congressional Republican primary, <laughs> really? what are we going to do? And I said, you're going to do what you want to do. You know, we're going. You're, and and uh, another worker in the business is sitting behind the desk, and he says, um, "No, we we want to we want to hear what you think we need to do." I said, "You need to vote. I mean, you need to vote your conscience in the Republican primary." Um, and I think people are beginning to really start paying closer attention. You know, we're getting what three weeks out from today, and uh, it's going to be so interesting because there's not another there's not another case study. There's not a precedent to this. This will be the first election in America, unless there's one in Arkansas, Alabama, Minnesota, Texas, and Georgia that I don't know about, and I'll try to confirm that. But but this race is going to be the first race in America where someone has the Trump endorsement running against someone who voted to impeach Donald Trump. I mean, that that is a national story. Um, you, you've got the, the Kemp-Purdue race today that um, Trump gave Purdue his endorsement and then he took it back <laughs> because it looked like uh, it looked like uh, Purdue was going to lose substantially or significantly in in the state of Georgia, and he is. I mean, I think Kemp will win. It could be, and this will be interesting to me. Um, and this is not the Trump endorsement. This is the documentary Two Thousand Mules. You know, last week um, a super PAC paid um, kind of found a random list of not Trump voters but Republican primary voters. And they figured out a way to digitally download for free the documentary 2000 Mules. Now, I don't know how you track who watched it, who opened the attachment, you know, but they um, they identified several thousand. It might have been 70 or 80,000 Republican primary voters in Georgia. They sent an email or some sort of um, social media alert and included in that alert or, or email 
was a um, a way to download uh, for free the movie 2000 Mules. Now, once again, um, Purdue was down. If you believe the Fox 5 poll, Purdue was down 38 points uh, a week ago tomorrow. So last Wednesday, he's down 60 to 28. Sunday, a poll was done, and he's down 52 to 38. I mean, you're not going to make up 14 points in two days. I mean, if the poll is reliable and, and uh, you know, uh, reasonably accurate, then Kemp is going to get reelected as the Republican nominee. He'll be taking on Stacey Abrams in the uh, in the Georgia general, excuse me, the Georgia general in in November. But um, but if that number moved that much, then two thousand mules is a highly effective campaign um uh, campaign weapon to try and move the meter uh, as to whether the election was stolen or not. Here's what I'll say: um, if that strategy works, if there's some data or analytics that lead people like Robert Cahaley, to think that that drop, you know, that um, that allowing certain voters in Georgia to see uh, the, the 2000, you know, everybody's not open the attachment, right? I mean, whatever the um, the penetration rates, what they call it, whatever that is, let's say they sent it to 60,000 Republican primary voters and 20,000 open the attachment and another 5,000. That's still, I mean, that's, that's a number. I mean, that's a number to base it on. And I would imagine, Rev, that some of that strategy could be employed in the 7th Congressional District in South Carolina. I mean, if you get down the road and we have a runoff between Fry and Rice, and Fry's the endorsed candidate, Rice is the one that voted to impeach Trump, and you, you sense that this is a weapon that could be employed or deployed in that race. Um, if it works in Georgia, why wouldn't it work in South Carolina uh, to some degree? So I, I'm predicting that there may be a moment in time somewhere between three and five weeks from now that 2,000 mules is made available to Republican primary voters in South Carolina the way it was made available to Republican primary voters in Georgia. Now, that, that'll we'll see what the numbers add up to tonight. You know, how bad does Kemp beat Purdue? If it's closer to 14 than 38, then maybe, just maybe, uh, the movie, the documentary had something to do with that. Let's take a break. We'll be back. Got a call, 843-661-0937. Love to hear from you. Got to give us kind of a slow day on the phone yesterday. Not as much yeah. interest in the Georgetown Steel Mill, Mill property as, um, as there is about the other goings on in national politics. Take a break. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. DW in Florence. Good morning, Don. Hey, someone. What's you talking about? Someone. Hey, hey. <laughs> Hey guys, how's everything? Hey, hey. Hope you guys are doing good. Go Tigers. I'll say that. I forgot it the last two times. There you go. Got a good women's yeah. softball team there. Congratulations on that, DW. Yeah, well, you know, got to win where you can win. You uh-huh. know, got to do what you got to do. Uh, all this talk about elections and all, and, and I, mean, I appreciate it so much what you guys do and break it down for us. For us simple people who have to get up and go to work every morning at 6 7 o'clock. But, uh, you know, it's a. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of like Breeze right now. I've been listening a lot lately. I only get 30 minutes in the morning and a little bit of time here and there because I do work. And uh, the biggest thing I'm hearing from you guys and what concerns me is we're kind of like the Braves. You know, we've got a good squad, and we can do a bunch of good stuff, especially all those years they won, you know, 14 championships in a row. But we haven't got anybody to can pull the trigger, it seems like. You know, Trump was there for a short period of time, and he made a, big, a bunch of big changes. But now we've got to... Uh, a buffoon in there, uh, and this is speaking spiritually. When we win this thing, and we win like they say we're going to do, we're going to have this overwhelming, overwhelming 
uh, win and win back the Congress and the Senate and everything, House of Representatives, Senate, we better do something strong like these guys are. These guys are bold, man. I mean, they're, 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 they're throwing everything they've got at us. And I'm just afraid we're going to get in there and be the same old, same old. And it's, it's going to be the same stuff. We're going to try to appease them. We need to bury these guys. I mean, we need to just annihilate them. And I mean that figuratively. I mean, you know, I don't mean it figuratively. I mean it in a place where we can understand that we can go in and just whip them like they're beating on us right now. And if our guys won't do that, you know, and I think that's what you've been talking about. If our guys won't do that, McConnell and McCarthy, they get in there and do the same old stuff, we're going to be the same old mess in four more years or six more years. So right. uh, if you, I, I miss that, but I want to, if you get a chance to, it's time to speak to that and tell me what you think about the no backbone in the Republican Party. I know you said some stuff, but, you know, just give me a little idea. I'm kind of struggling with that these days. So thank you a lot, guys. Have a good day. See you later. Thank you, D.W. Appreciate it, my man. Um, but it's it's kind of a balance. I mean, the, yesterday we spent a lot of time talking about a real issue, and uh, the the Republicans have to have answers to governance. I mean, you can't be okay. Let's impeach Hillary. I mean, you know that's kind of the talk now. I mean, Sussman, uh, the Sussman trial and the Sussman case, and what Robbie Mook said or Mook said uh, Friday about Hillary knew about it. Of course she knew about it. I mean, that's not a revelation. I mean, it's on the record now. It's said in a trial by someone under oath, the 2016 campaign manager basically said that, yeah, she knew about it. Um, now, Mook pushed back, or Mook, however you want, I've heard it pronounced both ways, Robbie Mook, M-O-O-K. Um, he pushed back a little bit when um, when challenged about, when, when the defense attorney said to Mook, Mook um, is... Did Hillary know about shopping this information to the FBI? He had de- he denied it to begin with, and then he kind of walked back some of that. He softened his answer a bit. Um, you know, I'd love to see in 2023 when the Republicans take charge of the House of, of Representatives, um, I'd love to see them go after Hillary. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. I think, I think political retribution is necessary. I mean, she nearly, you know, won the election. And now we know they fabricated a story. This Alpha Bank Russia, Russia, Russia collusion story was fabricated. And and I want to be personal here for a second. You know, when when we talked about the impeachment vote in Congressman Rice, that's when it really. I mean, that was a bridge too far for me. Um, and and we all have bridges, and some bridges are are further than others. And some people are able to you know forgive and forget, and move on, and um, kind of reconcile and make amends and do whatever they need to do. But to me, that that vote, that single vote was siding. I mean, I, you know, we can debate the um, inciting an insurrection. We can debate peddling fantasy. Uh, Rev's got a way he explains it. I've got a way I explain it. Mike would probably have a way to explain it. I mean, we all, I believe Trump peddled fantasy and contributed to a riot, uh, a protest that turned into a riot. I don't think Trump incited an insurrection, but I don't give a damn if he did. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't care if I thought Trump incited an insurrection. I'm not voting to impeach him, because why? When I am voting to, when I vote to impeach, and I understand the matter of consciousness, and I understand the principled vote. I get all that. I mean, I, I do. I understand that with clarity. But but I'm not going to side with Schumer and Pelosi, and Clinton, and all the Democrats that did everything they could to to basically um, not allow Trump to get elected president but to throw him out of office once he got there. And on the way out, I'm just not going there. So, so so, my characterization of that vote, that will be the central issue in the 
the the seventh congressional district primary the the central issue i have with that vote is not whether or not trump incited an insurrection once again i want to be clear you ready i don't give a damn if he did i'm not voting with the democrats i'm simply not going to validate the witch hunt they were on for four years that started before he got elected and didn't stop until after he left office they're still after him in some way shape or form but, but the Republicans have to try and find balance in how do we um, hold on to that animus? How do we never forget? How do we always understand what the Democrats did when we, the people, spoke loudly and clearly in a way that they didn't like? I mean, that's, just, that's the story here. We, the people, didn't do what we were told to do. We were told to vote for Jeb Bush. We said, no, nah, I don't like that. Okay, okay, how about Chris Christie? No, nah, I don't like that. Well, you better not vote for Donald Trump. And we voted for Trump, and they never forgave us for it. So, so the uh, the the story is to me the story is how do we reconcile this um this rambunctious energy that I think is um taking over the Republican Party with the ability to govern? I mean, I think Rev would agree. You can't go in there just mad at everybody about everything and not having any sort of co- coherent philosophy or leanings or priorities or a, or agenda. So what is the agenda going to be? And that's the um, kind of the illustration on the, the Georgetown Mill property. I mean, that's a real issue. That's a relevant issue. A U.S. member of Congress is going to have a, a say in what happens there. And, and that's governance. I mean, you know, whether, you, whether you're a libertarian or a five-star liberal, I mean, that, that's governing. And at some point in time, when the city of Georgetown decides what they're going to do with that property, they'll probably go to the member of Congress and say, hey, you know, can we count on you to help facilitate a better outcome? That's the responsibility of being in government. And I think you can't throw that out of the window. You can't discard or discount totally that responsibility. Um, but, but I think the primary energy or focus or force is, you know, I, I, I hate to say this because it sounds lousy. But, but how do we settle the score? I mean, how do we, you know, political retribution? Um, you know, they came after Trump. To some degree, they were successful. He didn't get reelected in 2020. Um, you know, we're good about saying, well, I mean, Trump talked himself out of the presidency. I mean, these crazy things he did. Guys, look at what he had to dealt with, deal with from the moment he showed up in town. And that really goes back to the, the impeachment vote. I mean, if you're a Republican— and you understand and give consideration to what sort of, um, I don't know, animus he dealt with from the time he got there. Not just the Democrats, but there were many, many, many Republicans who didn't want the guy there. Um, and then, you know, there, there's a question as to whether he inside, incited an insurrection. I mean, there's a debate within the Republican Party. No debate the Democrats. I mean, whether he did or did not, they were going to vote to impeach. I mean, they were always looking for a reason to impeach. I mean, he got impeached the day, not the day he got there, but shortly after he gets there, he gets impeached. Uh, and then he gets impeached again on his way out of the door. And the interim, it was all, uh, you know, a, kind of a, um, a never-ending uh, assault on his presidency. And every Republican, um, to me, should have circled, circled the wagons. I mean, he was our guy. I, I, once, I understand the principled vote. I understand the, um, the did he incite an insurrection or did he not? But there's no way in the world that I would have lined up with Schumer, Pelosi, and all the Democrats. And that's why it's unforgivable to me. It's not whether or not he in, incited an insurrection. That's someone tried to explain to me uh, six months ago, you know, why I was wrong and why he did 
uh, you know, inside of it. Art, I listen to you in the morning. And I know you say he peddles fantasy. He peddled fantasy, and that peddling of fantasy led to uh, a protest that led to a riot that led to people getting arrested. Um, that's inciting an insurrection. I mean, you're not saying it, but you're basically, I don't care. I don't care if he incited an insurrection. Okay, let's say I give you that side of the argument. Let's say I, Dave Baker says that Trump incited an insurrection, and I say he does it. We have coffee, and he talks me into believing. Okay, Rev, you're making more sense than I am. He incited an insurrection. Still not voted to impeach. I'm still not voting to impeach because I'm a Republican, and he's a Republican president, and there is no common ground. How many items of the Trump administration did the Democrat supporter vote uh, to advance? I mean, I can't think of one. They fought him every step uh, of the I way. Mean, they didn't just fight him, Rev. They tried to destroy him. Yeah. And, 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 and in things he did do, like executive orders, they fought him in court sure. and, and won those a lot and of times. And it's not just that they're fighting him. They're fighting us. They're fighting the hillbillies, right. hayseeds, and rednecks who chose right. to do what Trump uh, to ch- chose to do what the party said not to do, um, and that was you know vote for Chris Christie or vote for Marco Rubio or vote for. We were tired of that, and that's what DW is talking about. Is this next generation of America First Republicans going to have a backbone, or are they going to be uh, persuaded? by the elite establishment forces in our nation's capital? Do they still want to get invited to the, the, the cocktail parties and the supper clubs, or are they going to kind of execute or advance this America first agenda? But that's, I mean, to me, that's the primary, and that's why I argue that this election three weeks from today is not about Russell Fry. It's not about Tom Rice. It's not about Ken Richardson. It's not about Barbara Arthur. Can you, as a Republican primary voter, live with voting for someone who impeached Donald Trump? I mean, that's a question you've got to ask yourself. I can't answer that for the masses. I can ask, answer it for me. That's a bridge too far. I've gone on the record. That's a bridge too far. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Darlington. Good morning, Mike. Uh, good morning. I, I, uh, this is a great show, and all I can say to you, what you just said is Amen. That that's uh, that is exactly how I feel about it, and I think I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you got to hold these people accountable. They're trying; they're still trying to destroy the man. I, I think he's probably one of the most squeaky clean clean uh, presidents that we've ever had. Um, because if there was anything that he had really done, I think they would already have him in prison for life or something. Uh, it's just absolutely amazing how the animus they hold toward him. But uh, I'm I'm wondering about this uh, 25 or 7 percent of Democrats that think it's a good idea to have gas and diesel approaching ten dollars a gallon. They say by the end of the summer, and uh, us and like not one but two cold wars and trying to get into a hot war. Any minute and uh, exporting forty billion dollars to to uh, Ukraine, I, I don't see how they can use that much money. So I think a lot of that money is just it's like a, a fire hose trying to water your uh, potted plants. You know, it, it's it's just not a good idea. But these uh, these guys, they they keep selling this thing like, oh, there's a uh, uh, a thousand uh, leprechauns with their pots of gold coming across the border every day, and that, that's just a transition. And uh, Liz Cheney and uh, 
Pelosi's up there. They got they have found a herd of unicorns, an entire herd of unicorns, rainbow unicorns, and uh, that's going to change everything. And and when we come out the other side, we're going to be okay. And when we're not going to come out the other side, they're trying to destroy this country. And the greatest people that live are are as far as I'm concerned are Americans, whether they're black, white, Jewish, Catholic, uh, Protestant, whatever, that polka dotted, they're uh, Americans are the greatest people and an embarrassment to the people, the rest of the people of the world that talk about diversity and uh, and advancement and, uh, and uh, advancing the poor. We actually do it. And uh, I, I don't think we should put up with this craziness anymore. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937 is so, our number. Speaking of something Mike said, what do you think of the comment that the president made? Now, he's made a bunch of gaffes overseas, but did he mean to say the quiet part out loud about the incredible transition from fossil fuels and gas prices are going to be high during this incredible transition? I mean, does that mean it's on purpose? Uh Let's let's debate that on the other side. I mean, that's an interesting point. I think some of that was for, uh, I, the, you know, the comment I'm talking. Uh, about, sure, right? I do. I mean, yeah, this is part of this um, enormous transition, you know, from fossil fuels well, to said. renewable energies. He says a lot of things. Uh, I, I've got a theory on that. Okay, let's take a break. We'll be back in just a second. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Someone's on the phone. Let's go there. Barry in Sherall. Good morning, Barry. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, Ken, is there any possible way you could get our feckless uh, two senators to come on and take calls from their – because I call daily to – I get nothing out of those people up there. They just take a message. You know, the intern that's up there doing her summer thing, takes the message, never get anything back. They always vote against the other way that I asked to be voted for. Um, they're basically just up there just doing whatever they want to do. Is there any possible way you could get them on the radio? We try. I mean, we try to reach out to the senators, and uh, yeah. I mean, they're they're more than willing when they're asking for your vote. Absolutely. They're they're not quite as willing when you want to talk about issues and and things that are going on that that voters have a right to know about. I just can't. Um, I mean, we we just can't get a lot of response from our senators for whatever reason. So so they're not American first, basically. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to be that judgmental. Um, I question. Okay, I will. I, okay, and you have a right to do that. And, but but you understand where I'm sitting. I mean, yeah, you, I, I get it. Yeah. I get it. But I, if I'm I throw, sick. Barry, if I throw them completely under the bus, they'll never come on. And I always hold out but hope that we can be. Now, a, well, I mean, but, but well, Lindsey's been on here a couple of times. I don't think Tim's ever yeah, come on. During election year. Yeah, well, I mean, I hear you. I hear, and I don't disagree with you. But I don't want to throw them under the bus to the point that we don't have an opportunity to ever have them on again. Not for me. I mean, I, I don't need to no, talk no, to no, Lindsey, but but for him to engage the the listeners slash voters about what he feels about certain issues. I mean, you deserve that. No, no question. I get it. No question about it, Barry. I appreciate it, man. Thank you always. Thank you, sir. I mean, there's kind of a balancing act that that we have to do here, and um, I mean, I think we call it like we see it. I think we give a uh, an honest, candid observation of whatever it is going on out there. Um, that would be kind of an interesting question to ask our listeners. How many of you believe that there's a Republican in Washington on South Carolina's behalf that is truly, genuinely America first? I mean, study on that for a second. We're going to take a break here. I love to hear. I mean, you're as in tune as I am. You pay as close attention as I do. I mean, you don't have to spend two and a half hours every night watching and reading and and researching and studying. But, I mean, you're students of politics. 
I mean, you're learning the game as I'm learning the game. How many of you believe that there's a Republican holding office in Washington on your behalf? And I'm not talking about your district. I'm talking about your state that is truly, sincerely committed to this America first agenda. One comes to mind. I mean, one comes to mind about two. I got two that come to mind immediately. I'll call them by name after we take our break back in just a few moments. The two members of the South Carolina delegation that I would consider truly America firsters are Ralph Norman of Rock Hill and Jeff Duncan of the upstate. I think Jeff may live in Spartanburg, the Spartanburg area. Um, But those two guys are truly sincerely now the mainstream media will call them extreme and fringe and out of touch and, you know, not reflective of the Republican base. Um, But when I think of the the people who really and truly believe in uh, the America First agenda, those two come to mind. I mean, Mm. I think they really are um, genuinely on board with this, I'll use a Biden word here, you ready? This transformation, (laughs) transitioning from one political party um, to another. But but you said something a second ago, and I want to elaborate on this in the next hour. We'll run out of time here in this hour. But in the next hour, uh, you said that that fairly well explains a lot of people's feelings when it comes to Tom Rice. It's nothing personal with Rice. I think that was one of your best. It's all about the vote, the unforgivable vote. Back in a minute. Another friendly reminder, we got, we're on the air the rest of the morning, tomorrow and Thursday. We're not on the air live Friday or Monday. Monday is Memorial Day. Friday is a day that I've got something that I can't get rescheduled. Thank you, Rip. Appreciate Sorry. that. I um, God never pays any attention to what I, we do I'm here. Listening. Um the programming note. Yeah, www.canwegetronaldacunatraded.com. <laughs> um, is that what oh, you're... No. Let me see that phone. Yeah, www.canwegetronaldacunatraded.com. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's kind of odd, an electric talent, but the team doesn't play well when he's in the lineup. And, and I think he's got a big case of look at me at us. I, I think there's I mean, something to I, that. I just think, I mean, he's an exceptional talent. Yep. I mean, there is no doubt about it. He does a thing, I mean, uh, I don't know, a week or so ago, he hits one off of his hands, backside. I mean, that's to the opposite field, and it just carries out of the ballpark. And I'm just going like, I mean, that's ridiculous bat speed. You know what I mean? That's just, I mean, just whipping the bat through the, the hitting zone. But he's just got this case of whether he intends to or not, look at me at us. And I just think those players who um, have that, I don't know, persona about them, they complicate teams i mean they just complicate baseball teams um some people just don't fit into teams uh as well as others uh do but i, I want to get inside mm-hmm. your head here for a second um who's head mine yeah i mean because okay. i think you would be i mean I, when i went to pick up my contacts yesterday and i'm speaking to two gentlemen republican primary voters both and um you know they were waiting for me to say what i thought was going to happen i mean they listen to the show not not loyal listeners i mean they, they're working and they can't listen for uh, four hours a morning and i would expect them to but as they go to work and uh you know periodically as they're out and about during the morning they'll listen and um and, and they were basically not pleading with me but you know asking me to suggest what what they should do in relation to the seventh congressional district and I just simply said, um, from my perspective, and this is simply my perspective, but I think it's very reflective of a lot of people out there who are waiting. I mean, I think there's a lot of people in this district waiting to vote against the guy that voted to impeach Donald Trump. I don't know that I'm right. I mean, I've been wrong about as many times as I've been right. Um, but it seems to me like if it were Mike with a Phillies hat or, or you um, angry with the Braves or me trying to get to Litchfield, 
You know what I mean? It doesn't matter who it is. Give me a chance to vote against the guy. That's, that's all I hear. Okay, so that's is that how you feel? I mean, walk me through how you're processing um, casting a ballot in three weeks in the Republican primary. Well, and there's two things. And I hear the same thing that you hear from a variety of people. Okay, they want to vote against Tom Rice. <clears throat> Here's where I land. Sorry. <clears throat> well, let me get a sip of coffee. Okay. Sorry. Well, I mean, but no, I understand that. I mean, but but you, you've processed this. You've had the um, the fortune or misfortune of sitting in a studio four hours a day. You know, since yeah. the vote went down, uh, Rice came on the show. Congressman Rice came on the show and explained himself. And I think he offered up a a reasonable explanation as why he did what he did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and to, to his credit, he came here and took calls sure, from I mean, listeners. No question about you it. Know, didn't deny. Didn't took, run took from the it. Punishment on the debate stage a couple of weeks ago. I mean, he said, "Let me explain to you why I did what I did." I think there's a degree of honor in that. I, mean, I think that's sure. an honorable thing to do. The easy thing to do, the political expedient thing to do, is to come on this radio and Shay and say, "Look." After further consideration, <laughs> it's pretty obvious that I didn't think this thing through as well as I should You're have. Culpa. I mean, you can't say I, I mashed the wrong button. Um, I mean, that's too country anyway. You can't <laughs> say you could say I pressed the wrong button. Um, but but that's kind of cowardly. But but, I, but you asked me where where I am and where where my head is on this because I like Tom Rice, met him a few times. I uh, think he is a good congressman. Um, but what I can't do is endorse that vote. I feel like I would be doing a disservice to myself and to my soul if I vote for him and in a way that endorses his vote to impeach. So, so I can't do it. So is it because you don't think Trump incited an insurrection or is it because what I said earlier that you're kind of saddling up with the uh, with the Democrats who were after him the day he got there? For me, it's both. Okay. Because I don't think he incited an insurrection. Did he peddle I, fantasy? I, I take the man for his word the day in front of the crowd when he said peacefully and patriotically, protest, you have a right to do that, make your voices heard. He didn't tell anybody to go break into the Capitol. But, but I, I know what you're saying, but I mean, I'm just taking the words. Is, does Trump share any of the blame for January 6th? Well, I mean, I, obviously people were there. But I'm going to interrogate you for a second. Okay, go ahead. Um, Witness Baker, you said <laughs> that Trump didn't incite an insurrection. That's right. Is there any blame that he deserves for the events of January 6th? I mean, obviously, you know, he invited a crowd there. He wanted a, a large showing of people to show their frustration and their support of him and his belief that the election was stolen, right? And if that group of people were not in Washington that day, there wouldn't have been the vandalism and break-in at the Capitol. Did so it bother you when he when he threw Pence under the bus? That, w- that I, yeah, was the I, problem I had. I, I mean, wish he, he hadn't done that. Okay, well, when he said publicly. Pence is a coward and yeah. he didn't do what he should have done. I don't done, think that was helpful. He, okay, the, and that's kind of where I, 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 I have big problems with that. I mean, Pence was not a Trumpite, right? I mean, Pence was put on the ticket. Why? To to kind of cool the the um the Trump candidacy down. I mean, Pence was a moderate guy. Um, he's a, a you know kind of a God fearing, a Bible believing Midwesterner. I mean, Pence doesn't threaten anybody. Uh, he's as um what am I trying to say? He's uh he's a safe bet, and Trump kind of needed a safe bet because nobody thought he was. I mean, people were going to vote for Trump because he was not a safe bet but i think cooling down the sauce a bit you know what i mean uh you don't put hot sauce with hot sauce 
Let's take this hot sauce that is Donald Trump and let's kind of simmer it down with something else. And, uh, and Pence was that simmering element within the administration that made some people, okay, um, I can deal with that. I mean, I, I don't know that I'm Trump. Uh, I'm a Trumpster, but, but I can deal with Trump and Mike Pence because Pence is uh, the, the cooling sensation within the administration. But, but I want to go back because I, I call it the unforgivable vote. I mean, that's what I refer to the vote as. Um, and I've said it on the air, and I'll say it again, not names dropping or anything, but I consider Congressman Rice a friend. I mean, uh, Tom got elected county council chair in the same election cycle that I ran for lieutenant governor. And he was very kind to me, very gracious to me, very polite and decent to me, um, kind of helped me navigate the complications of Horry County. Um, and I wish he had not voted the way he did because we wouldn't have this controversy and um, a hotly contested election, but he did. And he stands by that vote. And to some degree, I honor a man who takes a very controversial vote and stands by the vote. You know, once again, the easy thing to do would be to call people like me and say, hey, I got a problem. I mean, I didn't realize this thing was going to be as big. I got a big problem. Um, can, can we kind of unwind this? Can we unravel this? Can we, um, we can't put the genie back in the bottle, but can we dress this up so I don't have as big a problem? Never did that. I mean, you know, always when I talked to Tom, he never didn't defend his vote. I mean, he always says, Ken, I feel like I did the right thing. And uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I respect that. I, I sincerely respect someone who took a vote that is going to be un- unbelievably unpopular and may cost him his job. Uh, but but he kind of stands by, no, I cast the ballot. I stand by casting that ballot. Here's my problem, Rev. It goes back to the to the impeachment vote B. This is not a campaign of candidates. I'm sorry, it's not. It doesn't matter how good a congressman Tom Rice is or is not. doesn't matter how good a challenger Russell Fry or, or Barbara Arthur or Ken Richardson or Garrett. But it doesn't matter. None of that matters. It, it matters um, whether or not Republican primary voters are going to the polls in three weeks and cast a ballot for the guy that impeached Donald Trump, not the guy that has been endorsed by Trump. That is a factor, but that is a very, very secondary factor. In, in Ohio, Trump's endorsement probably got Vance across the finish line. In West Virginia, his endorsement probably got Mooney across the finish line. Maybe Vance wins, maybe he doesn't. But Trump's endorsement left little doubt. In West Virginia, maybe Mooney wins, maybe he doesn't. Trump's endorsement left very little doubt that Mooney was going to win. It kind of um, put a bow on the package. Uh, this is different. I mean, the Trump endorsement is important, but it pales to what the Trump impeachment vote is all about. And, and you said it, and, and I've said it, and th- there are going to be thousands of people who say it. I like Tom Rice. I think Rice has been a good congressman. But I can't be a part of letting a guy go back to Washington who voted to impeach my president. And I've never been as excited about a president as I have been about Donald Trump. That's going to be multiplied throughout this district over and over and over again. So let's go to the macro. You ready? The macro is this. Here are the numbers that matter. 66% of Republican primary voters identify as America first. Nearly 100% of that 66% support Donald Trump. I didn't say like him. I didn't say condone everything he does. I mean, he's a mixed bag with him, but they support his um, presidency. So you got two of three. So there is no there is no um, deep divide within the Republican Party, despite what the mainstream media tries to tell you. There is no battle for the heart and soul of the Republican Party. That battle's over. That battle's been won. We are, the electorate have decided that this is an America First party. And if you don't buy into the America First, 
you pay a price at the poll. But that's just the way, that's where this party is today. So if that's the number, if two of three believe in the America First agenda and nearly 100% of that 66% approve of the Trump presidency, that means Tom Rice is going to get 33%, correct? I mean, he voted to impeach Trump. One-third don't like this America First agenda, so he's going to just by default be their guy. I mean, Rice is an incumbent. He's got advantages there. Got a lot of money, raised a lot of money. Got some advantages there. So for those who say Tom Rice won't get a single vote, I mean, I've heard that. Tom Rice won't get 5% of the vote. That's absurd. Tom Rice can't help but get about one-third of the vote. The other two-thirds is going to be split amongst all these other candidates who, uh, whether they've been endorsed by Trump or not, say, uh, I'm an America first. I love the Trump presidency. I supported the Trump presidency. Um, the, 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 the way the 33 turns into, to, to, to me, 42 or 3 and it is for crossovers. You know, these Democrats who don't vote in Republican primaries, uh, but they like the fact that Trump endorsed, excuse me, Trump, I'm sorry, Rice voted to impeach Donald Trump because Trump is least popular with Democrats than he is with some of the ways about equally unpopular with the one-third wing of the Republican Party who despise America first, the establishment elitist wing, the globalist wing of the Republican Party. So when you say, I mean, I've had a lot of people tell me, Tom Rice won't even be in the runoff. Tom Rice will be in the runoff. And I think Rice will be in the runoff with Fry because Fry's been endorsed by Trump. Along with that comes a um, kind of a status. And that's just kind of where I see. But the, the race is not about the Trump endorsement. The race is not about Tom Rice. The race is not about Russell Fry. The race is not about Barbara Arthur, Ken Richardson, Garrett Barton, Mark McBride, um, Spencer Morris. The race is about impeaching Donald Trump and asking the voters who, to the tune of 83% of Horry County, approve, still have a high favorable of Donald Trump. And that's just the macro that I don't see any way it doesn't play out like those numbers say it's going to play out. Let's go to the phone. Here's Bob in Florence. Good morning, Bob. Yeah, good morning, guys. A great analysis this morning, Ken. And uh, uh, Dave, I, I listened to what you had to say, and uh, you, you, you hit it right on the nail. I, I would have been <clears throat> less hesitant to accuse Trump of having caused the problem, but all that's behind us. It's going to come back in the general election, and we'll just play it when it, when it, when it comes. But one thing, it's interesting, it's going to be, be happening and may even happen today, within this week, within at least next month, is when the Supreme Court formally comes out on the abortion issue. Um, they're already reporting that uh, left-wing organizations are just going to tear the place apart. And I just want to see what the media does. Will they use you know, the magic word, the insurrectionists, when they try to tear down the court. And uh, I just thought I'd point that out and uh, have a good day, guys. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Interesting observation. Of course, they'll tear it apart. <laughs> I mean, that's what the left does when they don't get their way. But I mean, they won't be referred to as insurrectionists. No, it'll be, it'll be an orderly protest. I mean, the yeah. building will be on fire and it'll say, this is, you know, by and large, an orderly protest. Remember, I mean, remember the CNN image? I mean, the guy right. from CNN standing in the street with a building on fire mostly behind him peaceful. says, this is a mostly peaceful protest. How about the building on fire you behind you there, brother? I mean, would you turn around, look over your right shoulder? There's a building ablaze, uh, but it's a mostly peaceful protest. The, the reality is the American public are onto that. I mean, we know what the media is today. That's probably why 
uh, Trump did as well as he did. Um, I think even the Democrats. I mean, how many times has a Democrat called on this show and defended the Biden presidency? I mean, I think of two or three callers who, you know, told us how stupid Trump was and how crazy we were to follow that and drink the Kool-Aid. How many of those folks have you heard from recently kind of defending the Biden presidency? I'm still waiting. Well, I mean, he's he's a a dunce and everybody knows he's a dunce. And the media is even trying to to now figure out a way to, I mean, you can't run interference with the guy because he keeps making mistakes and and making mistakes. I've got a theory on what you asked about during the break. Uh, We'll kind of follow up on, but right now the phones are, are lighting up. So let's go there. Joe in Hartsville is next. Hi, Joe. Yeah, good morning. A little, little better conversation this morning than yesterday. <laughs> what do you mean? Man? What do you mean by that? <laughs> I heard you yesterday morning complaining about nobody calling in. I was sitting in a doctor's office waiting to get called in, and I couldn't call, obviously. But no, we had a we had a subject yesterday, Joe. That I mean, most listeners would find atypical of a conservative radio show talking about Georgetown, the steel mill site. A, Congre- a member of Congress at some point in time will be, asked, will be asked to intervene on what to do with that property that is very significant in the grand yeah. scheme of things, especially if you're representing, you know, the coastal right. area of South Carolina and what to do with that 50-acre site that currently sits as a, a vacated former steel mill. Really? I, I used to work when I retired from the military. I went to work with the steel mill, Newcore, out there. They paid to keep the union out of it. I mean... That steel mill in Georgetown was booming, and it unionized. And when it unionized, the owner, who was very rich, said, okay, I'll I'll go along and, and help you out as much as I can, give you what you want, but if times turn tough, I'm going to need some concessions so we can keep this place going. Well, in 2008 or nine, you know, it turned down, and he went to the union and says, all right, guys, I need you to take such and such a cut. And they said, oh, hell no, we're not going to do that. And he said, is this your last? He said, we're not even going to take a vote on it. We're not going to take that. And he, Monday morning, he put a chain around the place and closed it down. So the, the unions is what destroyed that steel mill. But that's not what I was calling about. I was calling about the... Uh, if we're going to get rid of Tom Rice, who I'm like you, I think he's been a great congressman. But if I'm going to get rid of a great congressman, I'm not going to replace him with another congressman. I'm going to put somebody. I'm going to vote for somebody that has nothing to do with it, has a fresh face. So Democrats can't lead ten Boy Scouts to an ice cream parlor. That's that's where we are in this world. I mean, we started, they want utopia. You know, we started with utopia. We had Adam and Eve in the garden. That was the ultimate utopia. And some Democrat came in and told them they could eat the apple and everything would be wonderful. And look what happened there. (laughs) I'll have a good day. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937 is our number. Someone else on the phone? Let's go there. Breeze. Good morning, Breeze. Hey, kid. When's the last time you saw a bunch of Democrats sitting around talking about the looting, the burning, and the violence that they committed through all these cities during COVID, beating up little old men and women for no reason, burning down people's businesses and everything? When is the last time you ever heard them lamenting what was going on? When have you ever heard them lament the fact that these judges 
have people protesting in front of their houses, which there's laws against, and nobody has uh, enforced them. And here we are trying to sit there and try to find fault with what happened on January 6th, and, and all that does is give them more fuel for their fire. The fact of the matter is, those thoughts, I believe, wholeheartedly the FBI was behind almost all of the quote-unquote supposed insurrection. They tried to cause it. Our old government did. It wasn't your average citizen. Yeah, there's a few nuts out there. But compare January 6th to what happened either, even in that same city a few months ago. It was ludicrous. But I'll tell you another thing. There's Tell me the difference between a conservative Republican like Ted Cruz and the guy he's back in Pennsylvania and these same Democrats that cheated and stole in the election. But now you got the, the Republican candidate running against Dr. Oz is insisting that they find every mail-in ballot, regardless how dubious it may be as to whether it's authentic or not, and count them so he can win. Whether it doesn't have a handwritten, you know, I suppose they have a handwritten address thing on there. You know, he wants to uh, change that. So that's what I keep telling everybody. There is no difference with these sorry-ass Democrats and these sorry-ass Republicans. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Now the call. See, I like this. When people call in and express themselves, and we always get the last word. Right? Joe, Joe was saying he had nothing to say on yesterday's topic and then made some comments on the I'm just Georgetown, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> Joe has something to say about everything. Yeah. He's got Thank my you, disease. He's got my disease. <laughs> Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is our number. Couple of a fo- uh, couple of callers on the phone. Let's go there. Here's Rick in Florence. Good morning, Rick. Good morning. How are you guys? Good morning. How are you? Uh, good. Um, I listened to uh, Tom. Uh, first interview with you guys when uh, after he had made that vote, uh, I, I probably haven't heard him since then, but I was at least willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and listen to what he had to say. Now, I voted for Tom Rice. I had no problem with him, just like you're saying, Ken. I have no problem with him personally, but what it came down to me was uh, it's easy to make a conservative vote in Washington, but it's when a, a tough vote comes, what do you do? And from what I recall on that interview, Tom said that, that when they had ushered him down to the state place and, and when Trump threw Pence under the bus, and in the hour, I wish he hadn't done that. But but uh, from what I recall him saying was at that point, he made the decision to impeach Trump. And to me, uh, from what I heard from him was he made an emotional decision. And I don't need a congressman to make an emotional decision. I needed to make one that that represents the, the folks uh, that uh, sent him up there. And uh, that was the deciding point to me. And, and like I said, I, I don't have anything against uh, Tom Rice, but uh, um, it's just to me when it came down to the tough decision, he made an emotional decision, and that's why I'm not going to vote for him this time. Thank you, sir. Very interesting point of view. I've heard that from other people that uh, it appeared to me his emotions got the best of him and he made the vote and you got to live with the vote. I mean, you know, and I'll, con- I'll, I'll give him all the credit of the world, but he's not wavered. He's not waffled. He's kind of um, dug in and said, I did the principal thing. I did what I believe is still the right, thought it was then. I think it's now the right vote to take. And um, I mean, I don't think there has to be any personal anger or, or you know, emotions. I, I, people take politics too seriously. 
Uh, really and truly, I uh, got a buddy of mine running for a seat now, and he texts me every time his feelings get hurt. And I feel like texting him back, stop texting me every time your feelings get hurt. You decided to put your name on a campaign sign. Your feelings are going to get hurt. It's the nature of politics. Politics is based on people passionately disagreeing about things. When people passionately disagree about things, feelings get hurt. Um, you you kind of get out there at times. And some people are made for that, wired for that, some aren't. Um, my wife will tell you in a minute, you know, the world that you lived in talking about me is a world I don't want any part of. Um, you know, when I ran for lieutenant governor and had, I don't know, a million people are there about vote, vote for me. She said, yeah, but 800 and some thousand didn't. How do you go to bed at night knowing 800 and some thousand people didn't like you enough to vote for you, voted for someone else? But that's just the nature of politics. And if you do it for an extended period of time, it's not personal. I mean, it never, it's never been personal with me. That's unfair. I mean, there have been times in my life I've taken it personal. I wish I hadn't because that's the, not the proper way nor the, the best way to conduct politics in America. But we have these disagreements. And, and the disagreement I have with, with Congressman Rice is that vote. I mean, I don't have many disagreements with what he did and how he's done his job, but I have a passionate disagreement with that vote. Um, the people that have that passionate a disagreement with that vote will have to decide, um, is it a forgivable offense or not? You know, I can't answer that for the masses. Uh, Rev will answer that. Um, Joe answers for that. Breeze will answer. Everybody in this district will take account of how they feel about that vote. That's why I say over and over and over again, this is not a campaign about Tom Rice. This is not a campaign about Russell Fry. This is not a campaign about the Trump endorsement. This is, and this is the most interesting part of this campaign. This is a campaign about whether or not someone can vote to impeach a president that has a, a nearly 90% approval rating in the district he's a congressman uh, or the people uh He's a congressman representative of, I mean, that, that, that's, that's asking a lot. I mean, if the president of the United States, the former president, Donald Trump, is still enormously popular in this congressional district to the tune of 83, 84, 85, 86%, and a Republican member of Congress votes to impeach, can he get away with that or not? It's an interesting political exercise, and we'll play it out in three weeks and probably again in five weeks. Let's go to the phone. Here is Eddie and Sherrall. Good morning, Eddie. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Hey, Eddie. How are you? Good, good. Hey, I'd like to ask you something. Uh, you guys, I mean, first of all, you guys do a great job, but, you know, I just would like to know why nobody votes for the person that's going to do the good for the people and for the country. Everybody seems to have gotten away from all that. So... Let me have your thoughts on all that. Thank you, Eddie. Appreciate that. Well, if you're asking about the recent phenomenon, um, we get better government when we vote for things. But right now in America, polls are clearly indicative of this. I mean, Pew Research and Gallup and uh, Quinnipiac, even the good pollsters, I mean, they all agree that the, the, the strategy of convincing someone to vote against something is the best way to be successful in politics today. Uh, you know, vote for me and I'll do a good job. Vote against him because he isn't worth two cents. I mean, the vote against him because he's not worth, and you got to elaborate and tell people why he's not uh, any good or good for nothing or worth two cents. I mean, I'm being real um, rural here for a second. Um, some of the rural terminology that I grew up with, um, he isn't worth a nickel, you know. Uh, but, but that's just, 
I hear what the caller's saying, and America is at its best when we're governed because people vote people in office who they think will go do a good job. They're competent. They're resourceful. They're smart. They're, 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 they're able. Uh, but right now, we seem to be far more engaged in campaigning that says, you know, um, I'm the good guy but let me tell you how bad this guy running against me is now. What have we seen for about two weeks with frying rice? Negative campaign after negative campaign after negative campaign. Well, you know what the research shows? It works. It moves the meter. Russell's telling everybody that rice got rich while he was a member of Congress and he, um, you know, got sued by the FBI. Rice is telling everybody that Fry doesn't show up for work and he's done all these other things. Um, it, it turns off some people. I mean, I've had a few people tell me, that's why I'm voting for Barbara Arthur. That's why I'm voting for Ken Richardson. Those are the outliers. I mean, negative campaigning. People, campaigns spend a lot of money on negative campaigning because it works. Um, I would love to live in an America where, where, you know, two candidates stood there and said, here's why I'm more competent than he is or she is. Here's why I'm more able. Uh, have a civil debate on, I'll give you an example, Rev, the Georgetown Mill property. You know, the, let's have an hour conversation between the candidates about what needs to happen there and I mean, how you can be a leader in, in resolving some of, those, um, some of those issues, some of those problems. Um, but what we'd rather do is find a soundbite of Rice or Fry or Richardson or Arthur saying something and, and kind of run that over and over again. Uh, I'll give you an example. There was a moment in time in my campaign when I said, you know, I'm pessimistic about America's something, something or other. And when I said that, uh, my consultant, Robert Cahaley, said, don't say I'm pessimistic about America. I didn't say I said I didn't say that. I said I'm pessimistic about America if it allows itself to continue to be governed by socialists and liberals. Didn't matter. Next day on a, a social media ad, um, you know, Republican candidate for Lieutenant Governor Kennard says, I'm pessimistic about America's future. Why would you want a pessimistic person, you know, as you're looking? I mean, so, so it's all, uh, it, it's all sound body. It's all theatrics. Politics in America today has become a stage production. We've turned politicians into celebrities and, and almost movie stars and rock stars in this weird, weird way. And that's, I would argue, Red, why we're so horribly governed, ineffectively governed. We don't have um, the most competent, um, able, uh, smart, diligent person doing the job. We've got someone who figured out a way to win a political campaign. And, uh, and we, the voters, are, I guess, the most gullible suspects because we're the ones that take the bait. Um, I don't like negative campaigning, but the person who ran the most negative campaigns normally wins wins the race. 843-661-0937 is our number. We didn't have a call, okay? Uh, we had a call, but I think we dropped uh, the call. Wanna, wanna, for clarity's sake, we had someone this morning uh, opine on their missing us in Orangeburg, mm -hmm. um, we don't have. I'll let Rev explain better than I, but not better than I can. I'll let him explain because I couldn't explain it at all. One <laughs> iota uh, do I understand about why we aren't on the air in Orangeburg? Well, the and of course, unfortunately, as we say this, if uh, they're trying to listen to the station in Orangeburg that's not on, they're not hearing it unless they're hearing it uh, online or or whatever. Uh, but yeah, our our signal to our <clears throat> FM station in Orangeburg on ninety seven point one. Uh, took some storm damage over the weekend. We expect that to be fixed today, uh, but we are on on the AM in Orangeburg on fourteen ninety AM. So, so if you can't hear us on the FM in Orangeburg, we just told you to turn it to the AM in Orangeburg, and you could. 
I mean, just right. think what we just said. <laughs> exactly. And if you can't hear us on the FM in Orangeburg, turn it to the AM on Orangeburg. <laughs> right. Do what we told you to do, despite you not being able to hear us. Right. And, uh, and you hear us loudly and, and Unless clearly. maybe you, you made the effort to go find an online stream from one of the other stations, and therefore you are hearing, and now you know how to get it back in your vehicle. There you go. 843-661-0937. Programming note. Uh, one more time. I think we got confused earlier. We will be on the air tomorrow and Thursday. We'll not be on the air live. We'll still have a um, the best we could do of Wake Up Carolina Friday and Monday. Monday's Memorial Day, so that's an official day that we're uh, we're closed, not, not open for business, community broadcasters, and we kind of do what the uh, fellow employees do. But Friday, I've got something, and I asked Rev a month or so ago, hey, I've got this um, something or other I've got to take care of. I don't think I can change. I always try to work my other stuff into this schedule, but this is a day that I couldn't. Um, and so we won't be on the air live. We'll be on the air, you know, in recorded versions Friday and Monday of next week. Happy Memorial Day. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Barry Wingard will be with us sometime between now and uh, tomorrow and Thursday to kind of um, let our listeners know when there's going to be a Memorial Day ceremony and celebration here in our hometown. If there's anything going on in Sumter or Orangeburg, please, please, please let us know. We want to make sure that we pay our proper respects. We won't be on the air that day. So tomorrow and Thursday, we need to do the best we can to in, um, m- make sure we're informing people about what what ways there are out there to celebrate, honor, and respect our um, our, our fallen soul, the families of those who uh, eventually a member of their family paid the ultimate sacrifice as we um, celebrate Memorial Day. Do we celebrate Memorial Day? It's kind of a weird way to say it, but I think right. we do. I mean, I think there's a yeah. celebration to be had about um, those who gave the ultimate sacrifice. So some, you know, moron redneck from Pamplico can host a four-hour <laughs> radio show and talk American pop. I and mean, imagine that. I mean, imagine a nation that allows that to transpire, that to take place. And I think none of that happens if we don't have um, – these men and women who pay the ultimate sacrifice. And that's what we do on Monday is honor and pay respect and tribute to, um, to our veterans as we memorialize what they did on our behalf. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. 843-661-0937. Primaries in Arkansas, Alabama, Minnesota, Texas, and I guess most noteworthy in Georgia as gubernatorial candidate David Perdue endorsed by Donald Trump. Kind of kind of endorsed trump endorsed until the last poll came out and then trump said ah, i kind of endorsed but i kind of didn't uh <laughs> you laugh at it but it's not funny but I mean, a guy commits to you should stay with you but who's surprised by you know Tr- trump will make up some reason well but the guy didn't do anything he ran a lousy campaign he's not up on television you know uh, uh, uh what's his name uh kemp. yeah kemp the, the incumbent kemp you know ran the campaign as he should have but Trump's just saying it's an all-or-nothing proposition with him. I mean, Kemp certified the election in Georgia, and, and, and you know, Trump saw that as an act of betrayal and goes after the guy with a, a pretty inferior candidate. I mean, if you're going to run against Kemp in Georgia, I'm just saying don't take the guy that just lost in a Senate, prim- excuse me, a Senate special election. Uh, David Perdue's just not that good a candidate. Um, if you're going after someone, find you a good horse to ride. Let's go to the phone. Here's Jimmy. Morning. Morning, fellas. I, Mike is all business. Um, you know, when he answers the phone, he asks for your name. He doesn't even give me a chance to ask him about his mom or how his weekend was. He just puts you on hold. He is all business. 
He's, hey, do, he's doing his yeah, job. Been busy in there, man. Cato, can... Cato became everybody's friend, and next thing you know, old Chummy's having thirty-minute conversations <laughs> before we get on the air with you. <laughs> Listen, I want to tell you, um, there was a um, a, uh, a post. Uh, actually, I posted it about Barbara Arthur and uh, her upbringing in Cuba, and that um, she had some dealings with um, the the black magic and tarot cards and all of that. That was, that was the way her mother brought her up. And I think they put po- the people who posted that video, um, meant to post it to hurt her. But I think if you watch the video, uh, I think it'll have an opposite effect. Um, I don't know many people in life who are successful that don't overcome, um, adversities and she obviously overcame this adversity she has had from what i've seen uh, a pretty tough upbringing and in, in life and and uh she, you know she is a godly woman i can tell that um but um if you feel like your vote for her um that she's not going to win well maybe not but if you vote for her and she sees that she is getting some kind of uh lift Maybe that'll encourage her to fight another day. Um, I um, I do know she sings off of one sheet, you know, anti-communism. But to me, um, that tells me every vote she casts up in, in uh, Washington will be the right vote. Uh, every vote. Uh, she, You know, and we may, if she wins, she we may lose a little bit of money in this district because of her, her America First stance. Because she's, I don't think she's going to go along with the crowd up there. And uh, we can overcome losing a few bit of funds. I mean, we're still going to have funds coming in from the, from the government. But um, anyway, I just, I just thought I would uh, mention that post and, and have, encourage people to look at it. And if you think your vote's not going to matter, is it going to matter with Richardson or, or the other people? I, I, I don't know. Let's give her a chance. At least look at her. And uh, hey, um, Ken, I want to know about Sarah Huckabee. Is she is she going to win? Yeah, I think she'll win the primary for sure. I don't know about the general. We'll get to that down the road. But yeah, th- thank you, Jam. Appreciate. It. I think Huckabee wins. Uh, she's got some entrenched support. Uh, I, she worked for President Trump, but she's kind of um. Her dad was governor. Their dad was governor, and I'm not sure about him being. Uh, he's kind of become a talk show persona and a, a pundit, uh, kind of an extreme pundit on some fronts. He's, you know, believe it or not, he's into this, um, what is it, uh, relief, relief factor, factor and my pillow and all these other. I mean, he's, he's kind of in the cottage industry that has become conservative talk radio. And, now, and when he does an endorsement, though, he starts out by saying former presidential candidate. Well, of Mike course Huckabee. he does. I mean, that's why you run for president, so you can declare yourself a former presidential candidate the important thing jamie touched on is barbara arthur said it yesterday i'll say it again um jacksonville state isn't gonna beat alabama but if they give them a good run they gain some street cred you kind of pat them on the back and say hey you know from where you were to where you are quite the improvement i would argue that of all the campaigns and I'm talking about the rice, the incumbent, who is well-funded and on the ways and means, and Fry, who has the Trump endorsement. Ken Richardson uh, invested some of his personal wealth 
in the campaign. Garrett Barton has a story, a compelling story. Don't know much about um about Mark McBride, but Spencer Mars came in and acquitted himself well. Of all the campaigns that I have followed in the seventh congressional district, Barbara Arthur has made the most with the least. And I mean that sincerely. Um I have a great deal of respect and admiration for someone who goes all in and does everything within their power to squeeze as much juice out of that campaign as they can. And she's been the candidate in this race that has gone from nothing to something. Now, I don't think she's a, uh, a winner, but but she has performed well. Back in a minute. 843-661-0937 is our number. A couple of callers on the phone. Let's go there. Here is Jim in Florence. Morning, Jim. Hey, good morning, guys. So, Ken, the steelworkers down in Georgetown uh, had a press conference yesterday, um, and behind the speaker was a uh, picture of all the Democrat presidents, and there was a vote for Joe Biden sign. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to take a, a union seriously that that uh, picked Biden and Harris over Trump, and Trump was much more pro-worker than Joe Biden ever has been. Um, but, but, Ken... Two, two last points. Us voting for Donald Trump was a huge middle finger to the swamp. And I think right now the biggest middle finger in this race to the swamp is Barbara Arthur. I get it. She may not win. She may not make it to the runoff, whatever. I'm still voting for her. Um, and whoever the anti-rice guy is uh, in the runoff, I'll vote for that guy. Um, but the last thing is, Ken, I think about these, what's going to happen in the midterms and clearly the Republicans are going to get the Republicans are going to hand it to the Democrats in some form or fashion. So that gives the Democrats an opportunity to regroup and come back in 24 and clearly pull the same shenanigans that they did before. So what happens if they steal another election? How do we respond as a state? How do we respond as local government? Um, and, and what do we do going forward? Um, because clearly these shenanigans on the national level are just going to get worse as far as um, stealing elections go. Thank you, Ken. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. I mean, th- this is hard to say, but I think this is where we are. Um, when the rules are no, when the rules are, there are no rules. You better play by the rules better than anybody. That was kind of the intrigue with Trump. See, I think what Jim said is so interesting. We voted for Trump because he was a middle finger to the man. He was a Molotov cocktail. He was a, um, you know, he was the great disruptor. He was a wrecking ball. He was going to, to change everything about Washington in its typical and traditional orthodoxy. But he ended up being a damn good president. I mean, he ended up being a lot more than the middle finger at the man. Um, he ended up being a really, really, really good uh, president. Um conservative policies, pro-business deregulation. Um, I was not enamored with the tax cuts. I thought they were too heavily weighted toward corporate America. Um, Some of the Republican America First voters believe that as well. But I think we've got to stop looking at Trump. And I think Jim knows this. Uh, We did vote for the guy because we wanted to exhibit our frustration, our animus toward establishment politics and, and Washington in general. But we ended up getting a really good president. And I think America first, if we add some thoughtfulness and a little bit of intellectual grit, and that's why I'm so excited about DeSantis and Teal and J.D. Vance and Josh Hawley and some of these others um, that, that are, you know, they're bright people and they're pretty committed to America first. I think Ted, I'd love to believe Ted Cruz is truly an America firster. I think he's a competent, smart man, very capable 
I'm just not sure that he's decided what he wants to be or not. I mean, I don't think, you know, America first populism is in his DNA. It's not as in his bones. Uh, Rand Paul, without question, is an America firster because it kind of reeks of libertarianism and, and populism. And that kind of plays into his, into his strong suit. But, um, but the, you know, the Democrats are going to do whatever it takes to win. I mean, that's who they are. They'll lie. They'll cheat. They'll steal. I'm not encouraging uh, lying, cheating, or stealing. But when the rules are, there are no rules, you better damn well play by the rules better than anybody. So, And the Democrats have already shown you there is nothing they won't do to win an election. They will do whatever it takes to win an election. You know your opponent. Deal with your opponent accordingly. Um, you know, the, the decency and civility necessary in American politics. The, the Democrats don't believe in that. So you can't. I'm sorry. You can't believe in decency and civility when the group you're competing against doesn't believe it either. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Here's Don in Mullins. Good morning, Don. Good morning. I'm not the smartest person in the world, but my one and only interaction with Miss Archer was she came for a meet and greet, and we asked her a couple questions, and she proceeded to lose her mind scream at everybody and storm off because she didn't like the question that was asked of her. Um, and I just don't see how you're going to win an argument in D.C. with people or anywhere with people when he scream at them. So that's my one and only take with her. And therefore, I'm not going to vote for somebody that's completely unreasonable. And but, the witchcraft thing bothers me as well. Well, who do you like? I mean, if, you. if you don't like her, who do you like? You mind my asking that? Um, yeah, I think I'm going to go with the Trump back candidate. No, I'm not sure he's any better than what we have now, but anybody against Rice. Because Rice has done nothing for Marion County other than drive through it at a high rate of speed. Fair enough. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your call, 843-661-0937. And those are similar things. You know, Jam said that Barbara Arthur, you know, she can get real single-focused on one issue. Guys, I'm telling you, 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 your Congress member has to understand the complexities of American politics. You can be an America firster and understand the complexities of asking to be in Congress. I mean, it's a complicated job. It's a hard job. It's a, um, you know, do we want everybody? In, I mean, let me ask you this. I'll ask you this, Rev. Are you an America firster? Yes, sir. Okay. Do you want every America firster to be a bomb thrower? I mean, do you, th- you think the political strategy of bomb throwing can sustain? No, I know, because I don't think that ultimately gets things done in can, the long term. Can, can America first be single focused? I mean, if America first says, you know, the Republic, excuse me, the Democrats are turning into socialists, we've got to stop socialism. Can it do that? Can we walk and chew gum at the same time? Have to be able to. I mean, I'm hopeful we can. That's why I argued yesterday that the Georgetown meal site. I mean, it's not about a steel mill. It's not about, you know, um, labor unions. I mean, the, the labor unions have sold their soul to the Democrats and vice versa. I mean, there's an unspoken, that's an unholy alliance, but it is. It is what it is. And I think Republicans waste their time believing they can get union leadership. You can get some union membership to break ranks and come vote for the America First agenda. But, but the union leadership is in the tank for the Democrats. It's financial. They're, they're getting paid to be in the tank of the Democrats. But I think the Georgetown Mill site offers an opportunity to find out how much thoughtfulness there is into a candidate. I mean, if you run around saying, I want to be a congressman or a congresswoman, to me, there has to be some depth there. 
There has to be some understanding there. I'm no genius. I'm certainly no rocket scientist, but I could easily articulate an answer for Georgetown Mill. I mean, I could easily, I mean, if I were in a, in a forum and someone caught me off guard with that question about Georgetown and that 50-acre site, should it be um, continued in its legacy format as a steel mill or should it be redeveloped as some sort of um, waterfront commercial slash residential property? Um, and I had two people ask me yesterday, well, why would a congressman need to worry about that you know, piece of property? Because somebody sometime at some point in time is going to ask a member of Congress, can they access some of the Superfund cleanup money? And that could be, you know, in, in, in other words, if we're going to, if 30 jobs are in that plant that once had 2,000 and there is no chance in Hades of 2,000 ever being there again, then the property's underutilized. It's not in Georgetown's best interest. So a member of Congress could get on a plane and go see the leadership, the ownership of Liberty Steel and make a deal. Not on his behalf, but on the district's behalf, on the state's behalf. That's what being a member of Congress requires. There has to be a degree of depth and sophistication and understanding of the complexities of the issue. It's not, you can't govern with campaign theatrics. You can't govern with sound bites. Somebody's got to have some substance. And I think what we've done is try to force some of these candidates that we're going to do this. I mean, Spencer Mars was with us last uh, last week, Friday, and I think he acquitted himself well. You know what he answered? You know what his answer was on the Georgetown Mill site? That's a hard that, that's a hard question. That's a complicated question, but it's a fair question. And, and someone has to understand that that a member of Congress may eventually be called upon to provide some sort of financial support via the federal government with what to do with the contamination that we know exists on that property. I mean, that could be $20 million worth of cleanup to be done there. I mean, I doubt the city of Georgetown has an extra $20 million laying around to clean up a private site, but but it does, um, it benefits the people of Georgetown. And I think what the caller's saying is, you know, if you're going to be a one-trick pony, you're going to get about 9% of the vote. I mean, they're about 9% of the vote that they kind of sort of like that one trick pony if they talk about that, you know, that one trick that they're so enamored with. But that's not the kind of person that I think needs to be in Washington. America first has to understand there's a responsibility to govern. If you want to be a member of Congress, you become a member of the legislative branch. The legislative branch, last time I checked, had a constitutional obligation to govern the nation's affairs. And I think America First can indeed be a serious governing element within the American democracy. Let's go to the phone. Charles in Lamar. Good morning, Charles. Good morning. I'm going to answer your question from about 90 minutes ago, better late than never, okay. with Jeff, Jeff Duncan. Uh, Jeff is the only member of the South Carolina delegation in Washington that is America first, in my opinion. I, I know you mentioned another one, but... Well, I think he and Ralph Norman. I, 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 you're right, Charles. Jeff would probably, here I go with, with, with degrees of America first, <laughs> Jeff would be an America first or to a higher degree, uh, but I got to know Ralph a little bit. Ralph ran against me when I was in, running for lieutenant governor, and I got to know Ralph, and we've kept up a little bit. In fact, a guy that used to work for me is now Ralph's chief of staff, um, Ralph is a little bit Johnny come lately. He's always been a conservative, uh, but, but he has morphed into what I would consider to be an America first or probably not to the degree that Jeff is. I, I, I can agree with that. I'll also add on one more thing about 
Barbara, Arthur, your top three vote getters uh, on the 14th are going to be Barbara, Arthur, uh, Russell Fry, and Tim Rice, and that's alphabetical order, not the order they're going to finish in. And and two of those are going to be running against each other in runoff. I just think we need to make sure that regardless of who you vote for on the 14th, make sure you vote for whoever's running against Rice on the 28th. I have seen some social media posts where people think if this is a plurality and whoever gets the most votes on the 14th is going to be the nominee. Uh, that's not the way it works. There will be a runoff. We need to make sure we drum up the vote on the 28th as well. Thank you, Charles. Well spoken, uh, well explained, yeah, and well spoken. One, one candidate would have to get 50% or more for it to be settled on the 14th. Yeah, right? and nobody's doing that. I mean, I can assure you of that. I mean, I'll make a prediction on the Trafalgar poll that is coming out probably late this week. I think you'll have Rice and Fry in the 20s. I think you'll have 35% undecided. It's probably 30 to 35%. Now, I will say this. Some of those are lying to the pollster. They've made their mind up. They're just going to tell the pollster they're undecided. The, over, the undecided will be inflated and it'll probably be, I mean, in political speak, we say the, the undecided is lead. You know, that's kind of the way we as former candidates. And I mean, when Robert did polls for me and ran my campaign, and the first thing he'd always say, the undecided are still leading. And then we're at 18 or somebody else was at 12 or 13. But here's my prediction. I think the undecideds will be leading, but I don't think the undecideds will be an accurate reflection. I think some of those people have made their mind up. The Rice voters are going to tell you they're voting for Rice. I mean, I, 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 there, there's no question in my mind. The undecideds will be those choosing between the Trump-endorsed Fry, Barber, Arthur, Ken Richardson, Garrett Barton. Um, they're, they're going to vote against Rice. They just don't know who they're voting for yet. So that'll be the undecideds. I would probably have Rice and Fry in the mid-20s, maybe the upper 20s, somewhere thereabout. Um, I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. Barbara Arthur went from nothing to something um, in this campaign. Nobody else has done that. I mean, Rice had a built-in you know, a, a built advantage. Fry had a built-in advantage, and the Trump endorsement comes along and, uh, and gives them an even uh, kind of a bump you know, to the next echelon. But, I mean, Russell was a, a sitting member of the General Assembly from Surfside Beach, um, so he's won an election in Horry County. Rice has obviously won an election district-wide. Um, but Barbara Arthur probably started at zero. And, and I'll bet when this Trafalgar poll comes out, she'll be somewhere seven. It could be as low as six, as high as nine. I don't think she gets to double digits. I mean, I just think that's asking a lot of a campaign that's kind of running on a shoestring budget. Give the lady credit. I mean, I know the caller said a second ago, uh, you know, she's kind of a one-trick pony and didn't want to answer a couple of tough and uh, complicated questions. Uh, but but I'm telling you, to go from zero to 9%, I mean, that's hard. I mean, that's real, real hard. And she's done that some way, somehow. But I still believe the only two candidates in double figures will be Rice and Fry. And I've got them somewhere between 23 and 28%. Uh, and then you've got a, a runoff. And, you know, what does the Fry voter do? What does the, the Richardson voter do? What was the, the Barton voter do? And, and I've said it, and I'll say it again. To me, the simple strategy or the simple reality, it's not a strategy, it's a reality. How in the world do you, do you win an election when you impeach the guy that has an 85% approval rating in the district of which you're asking the support of? That that's always been the macro to me. Nothing personal. Has nothing to do with Tom Rice. 
Nothing to do with Russell Fry. Nothing to do with Barbara Arthur. But when you look at if it was generic candidate A, generic candidate B, C, D, E, F, how do you do that? I did, there's no conceivable way. I mean, Horry County and the 7th Congressional District would be the biggest outlier in the history of American politics if a guy votes to impeach someone who was a former president that still has an 85 or better approval rating in that district. I just don't know how in the world you get from from here to there. But, you know, that's why we have elections. And we'll have an election uh, in three weeks from today. We'll have a runoff in five weeks today, five weeks from today. And, and not me, but you, the listeners, will decide, you know, the balance of what happens uh, on January, excuse me, on June 14, and then two weeks later on June 28. 843-661-0937 is our number. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a minute. 843-661-0937. Someone is on the phone. Let's go there. Here's Joel in Florence. Morning, Joel. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Um, Ken, I got two quick points. Um, number one, you're spot on about Tom Rice. Um, he crossed the bridge way too far. I would never vote for Tom Rice ever again, ever, ever, ever. Number two, um, I've been in and out of the truck all morning, and I've caught Breeze's comments about the Republicans and the Democrats, um, and he's spot on. And I'm going to give you the perfect example. South Carolina's got a Republican governor. We got a state legislator com- controlled by the governor. And I was riding the Santee yesterday, and I've been in the forestry business for over 30 years, and we are cutting down every tree down I-95 through the whole state. And all we're doing is grinding them up and leaving tens of millions of dollars worth of pulp in the ground. That is just, just that's terrible. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate that. Somebody in the timber business would recognize mm. what they're doing with the, with the trees they're cutting down. I noticed they're clearing out the right-of-ways or the, uh, the, the median. issue? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't it look as good as it does with the trees in the median, the, in my the, opinion. Yeah, but the, the boogeyman can't behind, hide behind the trees now, so you've got right. a better shot of, um, you know, the um, – <laughs> The incognito effect is, is what yeah. I like to is what I like to call it. You know, jo- Joel's touching on something a second ago uh, about you know we got Republican leadership, but we got Republican leadership with the frustrated Republican voters. Guys, we are transforming a major political party right before our very eyes. To believe that's going to happen in one midterm election or one election cycle is just far too ambitious. I mean, th- there is no doubt about it. Here's the numbers that matter. You ready? of American Republican primary voters identifies America first. I mean, that that, that polling is pretty consistent. I mean, that number is about where it is. It's not 80%. It's not 40%. Two of every three Republican primary voters want the America first agenda as its priority. Here's where where the the conflict becomes. Only about 25 to 30% of the office holders have reacted accordingly. So you've got this disconnect. You've got two or three voters and less than one of three office holders. Um, you know, I don't want to call names, but there, there's some people faking it. I mean, they see the numbers. They see the data. They know that the um, the electorate they so depend on has kind of left traditional, uh, what I'd call intellectual or modern intellectual conservatism, and, and it kind of drifted off into this populism. It's kind of a Jeffersonian libertarianism. It's an anti-globalism. It's an anti-conformist. It's, it's a lot of different things. Um, at times, it, it probably gets in its own way. At times, it probably strays too far 
from the political center, from the political core of what, you know, effectively governs the country, but it's a kid. I mean, if you tell a kid to not go on the highway, they still may walk off with, I mean, America first is an infant. I mean, it's a baby of a political movement, but it's unbelievably forceful and powerful. And the office holders know that. So what is happening in America today is um, the voters are here. There is no doubt about it. I mean, the, the, the American Republican voter has said, out with the old, in with the new. And by the old, I mean the Mitt Romneys of the world, the John McCain's of the world. George Bush's nephew is going to get his ass cut in Texas today. A Bush has not lost a statewide race in Texas since 1964. Jeb Bush's son, George, Bush, George Bush's nephew, is going to get smoked today in Texas, probably 55-45 in the AG's runoff. I mean, the, and Paxson is a deeply flawed candidate. I mean, he's got ethics trials. He's got, um, I mean, if I'm not mistaken, there, there might be a criminal charge that, that is impending or pending against um, A.G. Paxson. So he's not, I mean, he's, he's right for the taking. But Bush reeks of what? Establishment, globalism, and the Texas primary voter don't want any part of that. So, so the, um, the heir apparent to the Bush dynasty, Jeb's son, George W.'s nephew, is going to get obliterated in Texas. That just doesn't happen unless the party is left. The Bushes and the Romneys and the McCains, and there's nothing you're going to do. I don't care how much money you've got or how much force you have. You ain't putting that genie back in the bottle. You can resist. You can delay. But it's inevitable. Eventually, this party is going to be in the hands of America First leadership. And what I'm trying to argue is the America First leadership, 10 years from now, can't stray into the road. It's got to know that's dangerous. It's got to grow up. It's got to be able to sustain this movement. What are its policy objectives? I mean, if we're going to be anti-globalists, what nationalist and domestic policies is America First going to advocate for? Um, Something I'm kind of proud of that I said last week. And I've thought about what you said because you added or replaced one with another. And looking forward, you're probably right. I'm probably wrong. If America first and the Republican Party were a corporation and somebody said, okay, Ken, you can put three members on the board, who would those three members be? I mean, two are no-brainers to me, J.D. Vance and Peter Thiel. No-brainers. I mean, they're bright. They're, 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 they're uh, confrontational. Uh, that they understand where this party is, uh, where it was, where it needs to head. The other, I said Trump, you said DeSantis. And I think Trump is probably looking back. Maybe we tra- make Trump board chair emeritus because he's kind of the, um, the figurehead, uh, as we say in the country. He's the ramrod of this political movement. It doesn't happen without him. I mean, none of this happens without this political blunt instrument this political force of nature. So let's give Trump all the love he deserves, despite his shortcomings, despite his misgivings, despite that his, you know, his antics and bombast offend many, many people. None of this happens if he's not the guy. Nobody withstands this. I mean, the, the onslaught. I mean, Hillary Clinton made up a story. The media ran with it. And now somebody other than the Clintons, here's what doesn't surprise me at all. Somebody other than the Clintons is going to be charged with a crime. I mean, the Clintons are sleazebags. They're political prostitutes. They always have been. They always will be. And they'll let you go to jail on their behalf. I mean, they, so, so Sussman will probably end up find, being found guilty. Uh, it took a long time to find a, a jury that hadn't contributed to the Clinton campaign. I don't know if you read this story or not. We'll kind of delve into that mm-hmm. as time uh, allows. But there's a, uh, they're having a trial. The judge of the trial 
Um, his wife represents Lisa Page in another hearing that involves the Clintons and <laughs> of Trump and Russia collusion. Um, I think they um, four of the jurors have donated to Clinton. Another of the jurors has donated AOC, but they've convinced the judge uh, they could be objective. You know, they could be fair and impartial. Uh, Trump lost Washington, I think, 94 to 6%. The trials in Washington, the absurdity of that. So, so, so we have, I mean, we're on to who they are. We understand inside baseball. I mean, I know I understand it because I played inside baseball. I still play inside baseball from time to time. I guess that's why people don't like me on the radio who are inside baseball because I'm well aware of how the game is played. I have played the game fairly successfully at times in my life. But, but the America First Voter says enough with that. We want a political party and movement that that represents the genuine interests of the American working class. The Democrats became the party of the elites, the party of the um, the well-to-do, the, the party of those who believe that they are entitled to control the levers of government, and out of that comes policy that they, you know, kind of, kind of an advantage of. I, I don't know if you saw this or not, but they're, they're kind of a doing a, an audit of the, uh, the COVID money. Where did the COVID money go? I mean, it went exactly where you would expect it. Um, the market cap of the 200 biggest companies in the world is up like $3.5 trillion. The absurdity of a stock market that increases during a global pandemic. Let me say that again. We had a global pandemic and the stock market increased. So the people that have fed at the trough of government, the people that have kind of fixed the deal the way the deal uh, they wanted the deal to be fixed. The analogy I always use is the deck chairs on the, uh, on the ocean liner, the cruise ship. You know, they've been carefully placed where they need to be because these people who have accessed themselves to the levers of government, that's where they need them to be. They are deeply bothered by what is happening. They don't like it at all. I mean, they they understand it. If they're honest and sincere with themselves, they get where the party's headed. I mean, they're not crazy. They're not politically illiterate. They understand that one of our political parties in America today is in absolute transition. And it's not going back. Um, how many America Firsters will read the National Review? Uh, there'll be a handful. I mean, I'm one. I'm a National Review reading America Firster. I don't make any poly- apologies of wanting to understand the convergence, you know, and the conflict of these two elements within the political parties. But but the, the conflict, Rev, to go to your point is when 66% of the voters say, I want this, damn it, and only 20 to 25% of the office holders respond accordingly and the rest are fakes and phonies you know i'm an america first republican uh but i'm going to davos i'm an america first republican but i voted for the uh for the 40 billion in ukraine yeah you can't have it both ways except you can right now because once again the america first movement is a neophyte it's a baby it's a child it doesn't really know what's in its best interest yet somebody's got to kind of take it and and nurture it and, and bring it along slowly but surely that's why we need J.D. Vance. That's why we need Ron DeSantis. That's why we need the shadow of Donald Trump. And we got to, I mean, basically create a generation of political leadership that do genuinely and sincerely ascribe to the notions of America first. I'll look at it like this. Remember when Bush said, you're either with us or you're with them? Mm-hmm. See, I think the dividing line is, is you're either you're pro-Washington or you're pro-America. And I think it's gotten to a point where you can't be both. I mean, I, you know, Washington, D.C. does not have the best interest of the average American. It simply does not. It's, it, it absolutely has the best interest of those who foot the bills, uh, of those who raise the money, uh, of, uh, you know, lobby government, 
uh, consult on behalf of government. There is no doubt about it. They have fixed that machine in a way that has become almost impenetrable. But but here we come. The America First ragtags, all of a sudden Teal signs up, J.D. Vance wins in Ohio. Um, we'll find out how this race plays itself out here. We got one in um, in Charleston with Katie Arrington and Nancy Mace. Uh, you know, kind of one has been a little bit obstinate to the Trump agenda, and the other has embraced the America First um, sensibilities. We'll see how it plays out. Now, Trump's going to lose today. I mean, he's going to lose in Georgia. And I don't want you to misunderstand, Donald Trump is not going to be undefeated. The endorsement of Donald Trump is not going to win the 7th Congressional Republican primary. I'm convinced the impeachment vote is going to be the deciding factor. But but someone texted me a second ago, Trump's going to, you know, he lost this race. I mean, Trump's not going to be undefeated. He's going to win far more than he loses. But the Trump endorsement in Wyoming is not as big as Liz Cheney. The Trump endorsement in this district is not as big as Tom Rice. That's the point I've tried to make since the impeachment vote took place. Trump is going to endorse somebody in a lot of places. He's going to win far more than he loses. But his endorsement is not the stamp of victory. Um, let's go to the phone. Here's Mitch in Florence. Hello, Mitch. Hey, good morning, guys. Um, just wanted to comment about uh, – you had an earlier, earlier caller talking about um, the, the town hall meeting with Barbara Arthur. And um, I, I just – I know her. I've, I've had several interactions with her, and she scares me. I, you know, the problem isn't her, 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 her policies. She looks great on paper. It's her temperament. Uh, a politician, as you often talk about, has to be thick-skinned, and she's not. We saw that, uh, you know, in that in that town hall meeting, and um, I, you know, I just just want to just want to mention that because guys, uh, you know, we've got to have somebody that's stable and that can represent us and stay calm and cool under pressure, and um, she's not it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that. That's interesting. Um, the lady that has gone—I mean, in my opinion—has gone from nothing to something. We've had a couple of people calling this morning and say gets a little bit irrational when pressed on on some of the issues. And if you want to be a member of Congress, you're going to have to be pressed on some of the issues and respond in a way that uh, creates positive vibes uh, within uh, the American electorate. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. Hey, I want to talk to my Gamecock brethren for just a second here. Real quick, then we'll get to our call. Um, the Welcome Home Tour is tonight at the Florence Country Club featuring Shane Beamer, head football coach at the University of South Carolina, somewhat fighting Gamecocks. Um, still, there, there are still tickets available at Mickey Finn's, uh, both locations, one on the south side of town, one on the west side of town. So um, there's still a few tickets left. Today or tonight at the Florence Country Club, uh, the Welcome Home Tour featuring head football coach Shane Beamer will be at the Florence Country Club there are a few tickets still available at Mickey Finn's, so go by and get your Gamecock fix, um, and then join us again tomorrow morning and tell us what happened at the Welcome Home there Tour. You go. Are you going? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. You don't, don't think, think so. you are? Yeah. I don't go you? anywhere. I mean, I don't, yeah, I go to the gym. Uh, I'd like to go. Here at home. That's yeah. kind of my trifecta, my triangle of travel. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. But let's sell this out. I mean, we need to sell yeah. it out, and there are still a few tickets left, so... um. So the Gamecock faithful out there, go get the last few tickets and Mickey Finn's both locations to the Welcome Home Tour featuring head football coach Shane Beamer. Let's go to the phone. Mike in Effingham. Hello, Mike. Hey, good morning, fellas. Uh, 
I'm going to give you two or three states, then I'm going to leave you with a good question. And the first statement is be careful. Be careful how you represent America first, because I'm always America first. I'm an American veteran, and I'm always for the country first. But I, and I say that because the, uh, Republicans aren't the only ones that's looking for a new home. The Democrats are, too, because they're anti-establishment as well when you really watch. But, but they got to have something they can depend on, something that's inclusive to them. Sometimes America first sounds a little not so inclusive. Uh, the second thing I, I want to say to the people that um, bash and authorated by the author, be careful how you uh, bash these people because it just reminds me back of the uh, Wicked Body election. Jay Jordan said morning was probably going to win. But the more people threw dirt on Mike Rickenbach, the more other people uh, changed sides because they're tired of the same old saying. So be careful how you bury people in mud. And the question I want to ask, and I'm always asking this, I'm always the other side of the um, of the dime, is so had, would we be more respectful of our life and faith if he actually physically got hurt? I know he said, he said that how scared he was or, or the things he thought he was in. So he gives him no credit or standing for that. Mark, how, Mark, how about do this? We can't. Your, your message is we're having it. trouble understanding. It's, it's real gargoyle. If you could pick up a phone or something yeah, pick like up, that. We'd love to hear what you got to say because I mean that sincerely because Mike's exactly right when he said this. And I could understand a little bit better to begin with. It kind of went out as the phone call, call progressed. But uh, but please call us back. I want to get you at the front of the line and get you back on the air. But uh, we couldn't understand. But I, I was very gargled. And I don't know. I just maybe it's me. I couldn't understand it. Could no, you I, guys? I'm I mean, you're nodding as well. Yep. So um so yeah. Let's get Mike back on the phone on a, a better connection. But but the point he made is very true. Um, there are a lot of Democrats who ain't real crazy about this globalist establishment, you know, world order, the Davos men and women, uh, corporate America is having so much control and influence over American government. I mean, this is not a, um, this is not a white conservative uh, uh, movement. This is a very, very, very embracing and broad reaching political movement that wants people from a lot of different walks of life. I think when, you know, when you think of the working class, I mean, I'm certainly not saying the working class, the white working class. I mean, this is the African-American working class, the Hispanic working class. And the only requirement um, is that you want to put America first yeah, in, and in what, policy what, decisions. Whatever the policies are. And I don't get the right to define America first. I mean, you don't get the right to define America first. Mike's exactly right. My interpretation of America first is my personal opinion of what the, uh, the agenda issue should be and where the party should go. But I'm certainly not the guy that gets to have every hammer and every nail uh, in my hand when we build this new political agenda, political platform, political party based on a political movement. Mike needs to be a part of this. And I think he makes a very interesting point um, that there are many, many, many different people from various walks of life who find this movement appealing. Uh, Trump was probably a bigger impediment to some of those folks, then he was an enticer. I mean, to me, he wasn't either. He wasn't an enticer nor embedded, I was just glad somebody came along and said, you know, let's stop with this globalist nonsense. Let's stop with uh, legitimizing China. Let's stop with, with, with not put the American worker as a priority, um, farming out the American working class, farming out American middle income wage growth. I mean, let's stop with that nonsense. You know, let's get back to manufacturing and let's get back to uh, public education that genuinely truly serves you know, American working families who are trying to make a better way 
and a better path forward. That's not exclusively a Republican movement. That that is once again. I mean, it's already been unbelievably inviting to Hispanics, and Hispanics have bailed on the Democrats in record numbers. We've not had that sort of response yet from African Americans, but I do believe there are a number of African Americans who have historically voted Democrat that find this establishment. I call it the the credential managerial class. I mean, that's we, we've kind of turned over the reins of government to the credentialed managerial class who, in all honesty, may be educated but cannot, you know, effectively run a lemonade stand. I mean, they really and truly, they have degrees and pedigree and a lot of things to convince you they're the right people for the right job. But the credentialed managerial class is the biggest underachiever in the history of American government. And we have farmed out so many responsibilities to that group of incompetent <laughs> incompetent but educated uh, people. Take a break. Back in a minute. This show has been about as close to what I envisioned. Uh, and I want to have multiple shows like this because it's, it's interesting. We're not doing a poll here, but it's interesting to hear uh, what you out there are saying about this 7th Congressional. We've got three weeks. In a couple of weeks, guys, well, probably by the end of uh, the beginning of next week, it'll be a national issue. I mean, there will be Tucker Carlson or someone like that. Britt Baer will have a, a surrogate here, and they'll talk about this race. Um, I think we understand it better than anybody. Newsflash. I didn't say I understand it better. We understand this race together better than most. We've walked ourselves together and collectively through the Trump phenomenon. Um, we were one of the lone voices very early on that since Trump had a chance to win the Republican primary, I'd love to be arrogant and say we called it. Uh, we called it, uh, <laughs> but we gave him a lot more credit than other people did, Republicans and Democrats for that matter. Um, so, so, I mean, I, I just think we together have a good sense of where we are. The most interesting part of the last hour is um, nobody bothered Barbara Arthur until she started making a mark. That's how you know you're effective at campaigning when someone starts coming after you a little bit. And we had a couple of callers in the most recent hours say negative things about Barbara Arthur. If you're polling at zero or one or two percent, nobody cares. I mean, it doesn't matter. They don't waste their time on, on what it is you say or don't say or how you argue the merits of a debate or not, because really and truly nobody else cares. I mean, if you're polling one or two or three percent, why mess around? You know, why, why get yourself tainted? by getting in a debate. I mean, that's called punching down in politics. But the next thing you know, people believe you got a little wind in your sail. You got a little momentum. Now, I don't know if she does or not. I'm making an estimation that when we get this Trafalgar poll by the end of the week, that Arthur will surprise some. Um, now, now, some would say, well, I thought she would have been higher than 7 or 8%. I mean, if she's north of 7%, give the lady her due to start at zero have a, an, an incumbent and a Trump-endorsed candidate, you have no idea how hard it is to get from zero to seven, eight, nine percent. Um, and the trajectory of her campaign will probably, I mean, I just don't see her getting north of, what did I say, 10 percent? I mean, I don't see her getting north of 10 percent because we, we all can fall victim to this, Rev. You do it, I do it, everybody does it. I'm texting with a buddy of mine in Horry County who's, um, you know, instrumentally involved in some of what's happening here. Um, and he's talking about the lack of endorsements for a particular candidate, lack of support within the Republican uh, operatives, you know, the grassroots agents. And um, but, but we can all, Lee Atwater wrote a book, and in the book he said, 
you know, if you live in this primary world, you can convince yourself you got a dryer at the laundromat. Give an example. You got a dryer. The dryer has one red shirt and 13 white shirts. But as the shirts tumble around and around, what do you see? You see that red shirt over and over and over again. It's less than 10% of all the clothes in the dryer, but it looks like that red shirt is everywhere. Well, I mean, you can get, you can fall prey to that reality. Um, you can go to a Republican meeting after Republican meeting after Republican meeting. You can speak to five or 600 people, but, but that's, that's such a small universe of uh, a factor within a Republican primary. Those folks are, are as committed as anybody ever has been, and God bless them. You know, and I mean this sincerely. Um, when I travel the state running for office, those were the people I just admired and respected and, and needed. You know, just needed them to be on your team because they would be the ones to meet somebody at a storage room at 8 o'clock on a Sunday night to give out four yard signs. I mean, I can remember the, I mean, I'm, I'm, I can fake humility with the best, but I'm probably not as humble as I argue. But I mean, I remember how humble I felt when someone would text me at, you know, nine o'clock Saturday night and say, good news in Edgefield. You know, I just let Mr. Smith in. Mr. Smith put two of your signs in his front yard, put one in his business. And, and you're like flattered, but you're not just flattered. You're so thankful and appreciative of that person getting out of there off their couch at eight o'clock on a Sunday night to meet someone so not to only give the them person two to put the signs out, but oh, the person working, the volunteer it, that went to grab the signs it, and get it. Well, I mean, you, you understand that. Yeah, I mean, it's so humbling to know that someone cares enough about That's cool. you trying to make a difference to go down that road. And when I failed as a politician, I mean, I put my life back together. I knew that. But, but my great regret is those who were so gracious to me, so supportive of me, and and, you know, I'm just having to deal with that. I mean, it wasn't just me getting thrown out of office. It was all those people who committed to help and support me, and I feel like I'd let them down. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, that that's always a critical part of this. And um, and I think, you know, the candidate that respects those people who, I mean, I'm thinking the local GOP, you know, the group in Sumter, Orangeburg, Florence, Horry County has four or five or six of those because it's a big, big county with a lot of Republican voters. But, but yeah, I mean, th- those grassroots people, are so critically important to campaigns being successful. And, I mean, I just think candidates that don't say thank you over and over and over again to those people are just not doing the candidacy it's due. Let's go to the phone. Speaking of grassroots people, there's Verd, Marlboro County. Hey, Verd. There is a grassroots guy. Hey, Verd, how are you? Good morning. Yeah, Ken, I think me and you were out there with um, President Trump uh, uh, in that initial election. And uh, I think I actually predicted he'd win it a year before the election. So, it, uh, you know, we've been there this whole time, and it, it, it is a phenomenon. It's a movement like, uh, I guess, Ronald Reagan's movement in 1980 would probably compare some, but still nothing like President Trump. Uh, of course, back to the most important thing, the seventh congressional race, uh, five great candidates. Barbara Arthur is very passionate about her beliefs and is a hard worker. Uh, Dr. Barton is just one heck of a nice guy, uh, very astute, uh, uh it's been very well received anywhere he's went. Ken Richardson, uh, 2018, uh, he received more votes uh, for uh, county chairman in Horry County than Tom Rice received. And a very astute politician, very good businessman for his, all his years in uh, business. So those are three candidates that are just great candidates. But it all gets back down to uh, Tom Rice, the incumbent, a uh, person that turned a lot of people off with his uh vote that he's deep down today still believes in 
I guess we'll see on June the 14th whether he's convinced enough people. Uh, Russell Fry, uh, majority whip, very well liked, family man, Christian conservative, very hard worker, and I think it's like you said, Ken, it's going to come down to about two people, and not that the other aren't going to make a great showing, but, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, the top two people is going to be the people that's going to be in a runoff two weeks from uh, June 14th. Uh, on the elect, on the uh, voting side, uh, early voting starts on uh, May the 28th, which is a week from today, runs through June the 10th at your local county office. At our state Republican Party, we encourage people in the press conference last uh, Wednesday to utilize the early voting. Anybody can vote. It uh, doesn't matter. You don't have to have a reason. And we are looking at possibly, you know, bad weather days in June. And, you know, can you know what a bad weather day does to uh Poll, I mean, uh, election numbers, it, 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 it drives the turnout down. So we've got a tremendous uh, lot of uh, exposure that's going to be coming on uh, in the next couple of weeks, three weeks, really, three weeks from today. And I feel that Mr. Trump is going to be making another visit to uh, South Carolina about the 1st of June. So we've got a lot of great things going on. And Ken and all y'all, Dave, we appreciate everything y'all do for uh, the voters in South Carolina. And just an average person that might not even vote. I think when they listen to you, they understand this is something I need to get involved in. I need to go register. I need to go vote. I need to get my family to vote. Bert, if somebody out there like Mike, who, um, uh, you know, he talks a lot about the, um, the, the America First movement. I mean, I've argued this, and I'm going to get your take on this. You're a lifelong Republican. You've dedicated a lot of your free time and energy to the Republican Party. But the America First movement within the Republican Party is very inviting to those who have historically not been Republicans. Is that a fair statement? Oh, I've heard that, Ken. I've been out, well, I was out about three weeks because of that pneumonia and the flu that I had. Uh, so it took about the last three weeks. I've just really getting out in the last several days, but it took a lot of time from me when I could be seeing people. But I have been out here the last several days, and uh, <laughs> the people I'm talking to, I'm pretty sure some of them have not voted, and the first thing they'll say, I'm an American first person. And I know that that person, I know the voters in this district pretty good. I mean, I've been in about nine or ten elections. and uh, So I know a lot of the people that's registered and the people that's not registered. And some of these people I'm talking about were people that were not involved in the election process. And the first thing they'll tell you, uh, Bert, I'm, I'm an America, I'm an America first person. I'm a Trump person. I'm for anybody that Trump endorses. That's the bottom line that I hear from dang near everybody. Every house I go in, every person I meet on the street, first thing they'll say, I'm an America first person, and I'm for anybody that Donald Trump Supports. Interesting. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937 is our number. And Bert is one of those grassroots soldiers who kind of um takes it upon himself to uh, just help Republicans get elected. And uh and I think the Republican Party is I mean it's dealing I just think we're being unfair. At times I wonder about America. I'll give you kind of a philosophical um delivery here for a second, or I'll wax philosophically <laughs> here for a second. Um at times, I wonder whether we ask too much of America. I say that because how many of you know somebody 80 years old, 82 years old? I mean, if you know a person 82 years old, most of us do. We know someone in our lives 82 years old. If you know someone 82 years old, you know someone a third as old as our country. When you go to Europe, I've never gone. don't have any desire to go. Somebody asked me, though, oh, you want to travel when you get older? No, not really. Why? 
because I've seen about, you know, enough. I mean, I can read books and I've read a lot about it. And, you know, some people like to explore and go to Europe and see the, the old country and the Greeks, our ancient history and civilizations. I, I don't, I don't, that doesn't really generate much excitement or enthusiasm for me. I'm far more interested in America, you know, American history. What, what, what has happened to the world since America became a nation of consequence and um, kind of some of the revelations that have happened in the world? Uh, am I interested in what happened in Scotland or Ireland or some of the old country? Uh, yeah, to some degree, but not enough to get on a plane and spend, you know, a month over there kind of, I, I just don't, you know, um, the uh, the Italian food, man, you don't know what you, you, you hadn't lived until you go to Italy and, re, you know, eat genuine real Italian food. Well, just tell me what it tastes like, you know, because I, I don't have a burning desire to do that. I, I do it at some point in time. I'm not well-traveled. Uh, I've lived a, uh, you know, a, a real good life, but a fairly confined life. I've I've lived in the, um, I mean, I guess it's the country you, boy in me. You've been to the Olive Garden? I mean, excuse me? You've been to the Olive Garden? I've been to Olive Garden more than one time. <laughs> Have you? And I don't Hell even yeah. consider that a special occasion <laughs> right. restaurant any longer. I mean, I've been there for lunch a time or two in my life. The soup and salad they have. It's to die for. Yeah, yeah. So you world travel. Why do I need to go to, to, to Italy? I mean, what, you know, when I could go to Olive Garden, why, why do I need to go to, you know, to Asia when I can go to the Great Wall of, uh, of Florence? You know, I mean, why do I need to spend all this money and take these extravagant excursions when I can experience the culture and cuisine, um, you know, on Irby Street yeah, or, or at the, uh, the David McLeod intersection? You know, why, why should I? What are you shaking your head about, Mike? Come on now. Okay. Well, I've heard you Yankees are good at that, right? Well, well, I mean, everybody up north, his mom was born in Italy from, from, what, from, what, I, from what I've gathered. So that's not surprising to me. Um, I, I assume your, your, your ancestry was Italian. Um, but, but anyway, when you're, when you're a 240 some odd year old country and, and you kind of juxtapose the impact you've had in the world, uh, you know, against these countries that have been around thousands of years, these cultures, you know, that, that have basically dominated civilization for, for the majority of time man has been inhabiting the planet. Uh, and, and at times I wonder whether we're asking too much of this nation. Um, we've got this internal squabble. We've got this issue. We've got this, uh, this Malay, whatever. I mean, the Carter Malays or the Biden um, dunce of a president. I mean, you know, the, or the, or the Trump unpredictability and, and chaos. And, and we kind of, we, we run, you know, we run and we scream and we yell. I mean, ah, this is the end of America. You know, I know it's not the end of, I would argue it's the beginning of America. I mean, in, in true terms, America's still a baby of a nation. I mean, we're in an unbelievably consequential nation. And I think the consequence, the, the consequence of America's birth out of a, a political reality. And that political reality is our founders being so ingenious and allowing man to govern fellow man. I mean, really and truly, that's kind of the game changer of the world when, it, when America kind of came out with this, this crazy idea that we're not going to be ruled by a monarch or a king or a dictator. In fact, we're going to let people vote for other people. And out of that is uh, political leadership is born. And we're going to, we're going to grant a, a fellow man the authority to, 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 to govern the masses by simply going to the ballot box. I mean, the, that, that was very unusual in its time, and it, and it's led to a lot of um, a lot of concern, a lot of um, discombobulation, uh, a lot of political disagreement. But but I at times, I mean, and I'm guilty of this. I, I just I kind of believe, man, we, we've seen our better days. It's over. It's done. I mean, we had a great run. Uh, you know, these sorts of nations, these sorts of experiments, only last so many years. 
um, you know, the sustaining societies are those that have been, um, I don't want to say more indoctrinating, more, more commanding of its citizenry and its people. Uh, but, but I think America first is, is a baby of a movement and to believe that America first was going to find its, its heart, soul, and, and, and brain all in a single election cycle was asking far more than we should expect. I mean, it's going to have some growing pains. It's going to make some mistakes. Um, but I do believe that my kids will grow up with a Republican Party that 2016 was a line of demarcation. You remember that day my crazy great-granddaddy got on the radio and encouraged people to vote for Donald Trump? And, and some laughed at him and some scoffed at him. You know, I'm proud of my great-grandfather being ballsy enough to go on the airwaves and say, let's try this reality TV star who says what he thinks. I mean, I do believe, I think in 30 or 40 years, we're all going to be grateful and appreciative of, of the job Trump did. We're still going to wonder why he said things and, and tweeted things and, and behaved as he did. But I think we're going to really look back on the, you know, 30 years from now, a group of people will look back at 2016 and say, wonder what in the world happened there and then that led us down the road to where we are today. And I think where we could be is a political party that has really and truly um, found its soul. And its soul is in making sure our nation's capital, our elected leadership is doing right by the very people who inhabit this planet, um, excuse me, this country on this planet, not Ukraine, not Russia, not, you know, um, Great Britain, not Finland or Sweden. Somebody asked me over the weekend what I thought about Sweden and Finland joining NATO. And I think they were looking for one of these political answers. And I said, I don't like it. They said, why? I said, that's two more freeloaders that we got to pay the bills for. <laughs> that sounds oh, like okay. Trump would say. Well, I mean, the guy, well, I mean, the guy said, okay, you're one of those. You know, I mean, the, the reaction on his face, okay, I thought I was going to get a good answer. You're one of those. That's the best answer I can give. Look at the history of NATO. Look who's paid most of the bills of NATO. Why would we want two more countries on the roster or role of NATO when we've not demanded of NATO membership to pay the full freight now? Which Trump tried to do. Sure. And, and I mean, he, he started it. talking about it and then got it done for a brief period of time. Mike, let's take a break. I know your phone's ringing. We'll take a break. But, but I hope looking back in 30 or 40 years, they look back. I hope what they say is that crazy guy, he got elected, saved America. And then in his second term, he saved America again. <laughs> yeah. Wishful thinking. I think, Rev. Take a break. Back in a minute. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. This has been a very interesting uh, three and a half hours of radio, as far as I'm concerned. And I want to do more of this. I mean, I know there are, we've had, what, 25 calls this morning? There-ish. Yeah, um, something like that. There, yeah, somewhere around 25 or so phone calls. Uh, we know there are many, many of you out there who have a very um, strong opinion about this congressional race. Um, and I want to get as much of that over the airways because I think it really and truly, it helps the campaigns. Guys, campaigns monitor this radio show, not because of me. Please understand, it's not because of me, not because of Rev, not because of, uh, of Mike. It's because of you. I mean, they want to hear what you have to say because you, I mean, their, their political fate and future is in whose hand? Mine? No. It's in your hands. So the, the conversations we have, the interactions we have, help these campaigns understand where the sentiment of the, the Republican rank-and-file uh, voter is. Let's go to the phone. Kevin in Effingham. Morning, Kevin. Hey, how y'all doing this morning? Hey, Kevin, how are you? Uh, 
I'm doing good. Uh, I have a couple of things I just want to say. I was sitting there, I was thinking this morning, matter of fact, but yet uh, we have a generation of people growing now that's wanting the government to take care of us. And I think back as I read God's word, when Israel wanted a king like the other uh, people had, and then what it did to them whenever they got their king, they realized that wasn't the way to go. And the bondage that they went in under this king, and Throughout the Bible, if you read it, you, you just see the troubles that it come into and how they turned away from God. And then our country has turned away from God, and, and we're starting to see the results from not putting God first. And then this nation was based on in God we trust. But I wanted to say that part, but on the other with Trump, I don't know if y'all can see or whatever, get y'all's thought on it, but... uh. Some of these endorsements that he's doing and all, he still, I believe, is trying to clean the swamp. Some of them will go in there and walk into the water and get into the mud and start sliding into it with them. But yet, that's the need we need to go in there and get them out of there. So, and, and our vote really counts. We need to really look at our candidates. We need to know what they believe in and how true they are at heart at what they're doing. Well, that's just my thought. We'll see what you had to say. Thank you, Kevin. Appreciate that. I like the way Kevin segued from God to Trump. Um, that's quite the leap. <laughs> that's quite the leap from God to anybody of uh, of human ilk or human form. But yeah, from uh, that's enough about God. Let's go to Trump now. So you're talking about pivoting. That would be the grand pivot. Um, I I don't think Trump does anything altruistically. I don't think Trump does anything out the goodness of his heart. I think everything he does is extremely calculated. And I think all of this is about um, whether he should run in 24 or not. I think the success or failures that he has in the collective. I mean, he's going to lose today in Georgia, but he won in Ohio. He's probably going to win in Pennsylvania with Dr. Oz. I mean, it's going to be a mixed bag, but it's going to be a mixed bag with a lot more wins than losses. Now, now somebody said the other day he was 60 and one of the 60. Well, I think he's 60 and three. But of the 60 wins, 40 have been layups. I mean, 40 have been um, the incumbent candidates with, with very, I mean, token opposition. So let's not even count that. Let's say he's got 10 races that, that have really mattered. I mean, his endorsement may have played a good or bad way in that race. Um, I think he's 8-2 and two in those races. Um, that's, with the, that's with the Georgia race. I mean, I'm counting uh, the Georgia race as a Kemp win um, now, now, if Purdue gets a little closer, I'll say this. If Purdue loses by less than 10, then the Trump endorsement mattered a lot, and, and we missed it. And the 2000 Mule, you know, the documentary, for those just joining us, uh, which would be Democrats, it's 930, you can get up late, later than the, the Republicans do. But um, Super PACs got involved in Georgia last week and began offering free downloads of the Dinesh D'Souza documentary, 2,000 Mules, that basically, I mean, he says it exposes some of the rampant corruption and fraud in the 2020 presidential election, and the numbers did move. I mean, I went back and looked. Um, Sunday, excuse me, last Wednesday, Kemp was up 32. Last Sunday, or this past Sunday, Kemp was up 14. Uh, Purdue had moved up 8. Kemp had moved down eight. So that's a pretty big swing. Now, I'm not saying that that had anything to do with 2,000 mules. I don't know. I don't live in Georgia. I'm not up close and personal to that gubernatorial race. But something happened for that number to go from 32 to 14. Now, the undecideds went way down. 
So the undecideds may have broken uh, in favor of the you know Trump-endorsed candidate. That stands to reason. I would expect that to happen here. Um, the, you know, when the, when the Trafalgar poll comes out toward the end of this week, here's what's going to be so interesting to me. Rice's number is going to be his number. I mean, the undecideds, to me, the undecideds are undecided between uh, Fry and uh, Barton and uh, Morris and uh, Arthur and Richardson. I mean, that's, you know, the, the, the Trump supporter, because once again, 66% of Republican primary voters identify as America first. Trump's approval ratings in this congressional district are north of 85% or in the neighborhood of 85%. If you've ever run for office or ever, I mean, if you know anything about polling, 85 is a staggering percentage. I mean, that's an absurd number. Um, I mean, I'm thinking about my, I mean, my high water mark in my best days was 72-ish. You know, um, Quinn polled a lot of um, Republican office holders statewide in particular. And um, I mean, if Nikki or I ever got to 75, it was it was reason to get drunk. You know what I mean? It was um, that's what politicians do when they celebrate, right? Um, so so it was just a reason mm-hmm. to have, you know, a party and a fundraiser. So I don't know. You just 75 was kind of that number that you just couldn't believe. 75 percent of your voters approved of the job you were doing. Trump's have not been below 80 in the 7th Congressional District. And I've seen about uh, 25 polls over the last five or six years. And, and it's just phenomenal, the staying power of... Now, now I'm not saying 83% or 85% of the voters will vote for a Trump-endorsed candidate. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. But, but Trump's approval ratings, those who approved of Donald Trump as a president or approve of him as a former politician, is still north of 83%. I mean, if you've ever, that's just absurd. I mean, I just laugh out loud when I see these numbers, one after the other, after the other, after the other. And that's just the, I mean, to me, that's the deciding factor in this election. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, not the Trump endorsement, but, but the fact that, you know, the congressman impeached a guy who is enormously popular in the district he's seeking re-election. That's the macro. To me, that's the only story. If you debate this race, and you don't say that before anything else, I don't take you very serious. I mean, I've got friends on in a lot of different camps, and they'll say, well, you know, we did this poll, and it was a landline poll, and it was a, you know, no, I don't even want to hear that because you didn't start with the only sentence that makes any sense. I mean, if you don't start from there, you're going to end up in the wrong direction. And once again, that's my opinion, but I think that's a fairly informed opinion. I mean, I think I understand this race and this district about as well as anybody other than the candidates. And I think I can do one thing the candidates can't do, and that is be fair and objective. I mean, if you're working for Rice, guess what? You've got an obligation. If you're working for Fry, you've got a responsibility. I mean, you see things through the uh, the Trump endorsement lens, or you see things through the incumbent lens, or you, you see things through the um, the outsider lens. And, um, and I think we've done a decent enough job of, of trying to be honest and accurate, um, not to, um, I mean, I've made no bones about it. I, I'm, an, I'm an America first Republican. I mean, I, I am very supportive of the way Trump tried to change the Republican Party. So if you can put two and two together, as most of you can, I got a big problem with that vote. I mean, I got a big, big problem with that vote. And I think I've told Tom Ross, Congressman Ross, um, to, to, to his face that, you know, I, I got no problem with you. I got a big problem with that vote. 
And, and I just, I don't know how you crawl off one of that rock, Rev. I just, you know, for the life of me, when I, when I start doing the math and I start jotting down numbers and I start saying, okay, let's, let's supply or let's, let's, um, let's model this or let's model that, or, or let's, let's take this reality or that reality. The, the only way I get to a number north of 50% for us is to create some kind of an outlier model, uh, a projection that I think doesn't make sense. If you're doing honest polling, if you're doing push polling or you're doing internals to try and drive an agenda. In other words, if you are a, um, I'll give you an example. If you are a, a Richardson supporter, I mean, I would probably push a poll in a way that showed Fry struggling. Why? Because if Fry is struggling, then he might not be the guy to beat Rice. And if he's not the guy to beat Rice, I better find me another horse to ride. So if I'm doing a Barber Arthur poll, I mean, I, I would probably, you know, position the poll. It's called push polling. I would push it negatively toward toward Russell Fry. I think that's why you saw Richardson and Fry go at one another, you know, during the debate. Um, if you think about it, Ken Richardson kind of left Tom Ross alone. I mean, he didn't have much to mess with. You know, his focus was on Russell Fry because I think Richardson has convinced himself in their campaign as that, you know, if if I don't do something about Fry, it, the, the inevitable runoff He's is he's headed our way. Right. No question yeah. about it. I've got to be one of two standing. And that's, you know, that's just the nature of politics. Uh, you, you've always got this this grand strategy, but you've always got these subsequent strategies that, that are, I mean, they, they evolve, they flow, they're fluid. They never, ever um, stay the same. 843-661-0937 is our number. I want to redo, I want to recount these votes real quick and then we'll take our, our break. So Rev asked this morning, has Oz finally won the thing in Pennsylvania? <laughs> the honest answer is we don't know. We're a week after the vote. There will be an automatic recount, and there will not be a certification until the automatic recount takes place. Yesterday, Oz had 418, 535 votes. Today, he has 418, 738 votes. So he's got an increase of 203 votes. Yesterday, McCormick had 417,475. Today, he's got 400,751. So the lead is less than 1,000 votes, but there aren't, I mean, there can't be more than a handful of outstanding Republican votes. You, You asked about it's a week later. It's a week later, and we're still waiting on ballots from Philadelphia. I mean, imagine that. You know, when you look at, um, at the realities of the 2020 presidential election, I mean, I've looked at a lot of information on Detroit, Atlanta, you know, some of the um, some of the heavily Democratic areas that voted in overwhelming numbers. I mean, never before have those three American cities voted at the percentage they did. I mean, people voted in Detroit as they never have. People voted in Atlanta as they never have. People voted in Philadelphia as they never have. Um, and Philadelphia was the first place to stop counting ballots. I mean, Trump had a pretty substantial lead in Pennsylvania. And then, you know, about 11 o'clock at night, they decided to stop counting ballots. And the majority of that was generated out of Philadelphia. So, so when you look at Pennsylvania politics, and remember what our friend Robert Cahaley said before the election, when he said Trump is going to probably win Pennsylvania, but he better win it by better than three or four percentage points, because if not, they've got these machines in place that are going to offset. I mean, if he wins it by three percentage points, that might not be enough. And Kahaley kind of called that. He said Philadelphia is going to, I mean, they're, they're, you, you're going to see staggering numbers out of Philadelphia, and we did. And apparently they're just slow to count votes. 
in Philadelphia. Did we ever figure out who ordered the stopping of the counting of the votes in those, ironically, those five states? No, but it made Brit Hume mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he kept him up much later than he um, <laughs> than he normally stays up. That that was the, I mean, it was the, the humor in that was the, uh, the, the spontaneous nature of Hume's reaction. So they're sitting around this table. Everybody is, um, everybody is dignified and everybody knows their role and responsibility. Brit Hume's kind of the old hand at Fox. So one of the uh, one of the young females, imagine that a young female on Fox News. One of the young females, young fit females, um, says, you know, they're, st- they're they're not counting votes any longer in Philadelphia. And Brit Hume, you can hear his pen go. He said, "What do you mean they're not counting <laughs> votes anymore? Uh, you, nobody stops counting votes at eleven o'clock at night. We've got to get to the bottom of this." He said, "Only to work till midnight." And then he and then while the camera's on him, he looks at his watch, <laughs> a la George Bush, and he says. I'm the hell out of here. I mean, I'm not. St- I'll stay here until twelve, but I'm not staying any later than that. So yeah, they stopped counting ballots in our, in Philadelphia election night, and a week from now. The reason I'm not really concerned about that, they don't much care. They being the Democrats in Philadelphia, they really don't care about the Republican primary. Doctor Oz and McCormick, um, it's the Democrats that that you know that that's kind of where their um, shenanigans take place when they start handling. Or, or losing the chain of custody on some of these Democratic ballots cast. Let's take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. I got breaking news before we get out of here. Got about three or four minutes in this segment. Before we get out, I think we, I mean, this is an important announcement. Um, Nancy Pelosi is asking for passage of legislation that disallows the Catholic Church from allowing communion or not, but instead grants the, uh, the federal government. In other words, the government will be in charge oh. of what the Catholic Church can or cannot do. Um, the big government liberalism knows no extreme, knows no bounds. I'm being a bit facetious, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, this is kind of where right. humor meets reality. So when I say uh, breaking news, Nancy Pelosi is asking for a law to be passed. She'll introduce it as Speaker of the House. It will probably not work through committee or subcommittee. Uh, it may or may not be filibustered. Um, she'll want to abolish the filibuster. But once again, Nancy Pelosi believes that the federal government and not the Catholic Church should decide who gets to participate in communion or not. That's just the nature of big government liberals. If there's a problem in the world, then government's got to be the solution. Let's reach out to government. I do think it's kind of um, interesting that some of these archbishops and, and leadership of the Catholic Church are saying, wow. Are you really Catholics? I mean, I know you say it to get votes, and I understand, you know, people of faith. Now, you don't want to be a, an agnostic or an atheist running for office in America. They tend to not fare so well. But I think it's so interesting that the Catholic Church is beginning to take serious, you know, their understanding of God's uh, word and, and the interpretation of Scripture and how it applies to our real lives and daily affairs of man. And if they stick to their guns— it wouldn't surprise me a bit in this world if Nancy Pelosi said, okay, Catholic Church, um, do you not know who I am? Do you not know who imp- how important and powerful I am? I make the rules in this place. You better believe it. Say. You better believe it. I mean, if God were here, we would make him answer to us. I mean, if God were here and God had a position on abortion, we would drag him before a subcommittee and make him answer. In other words, we may be pilot. You know, we, we may... Um, order an execution or not it's just unbelievable how zealous these liberals are about wanting government to be in control of more and more and more aspects of our lives it's scary guys i mean it really and truly it's intimidating it's scary it's threatening 
Um, it's a lot of things that it shouldn't be. And the government has become unbelievably punitive uh, by, by intent. I mean, it's not, I mean, this is where Breezen is exactly right. A lot of our callers, there is no incompetence in this. I mean, this is incredibly intentional. It's, um, it's, it's malicious. It, to me, is diabolical. I mean, there are a lot of words we can use there, but, but there are people in our government now that believe government's there to settle scores. And if the Catholic Church deems their stance on abortion inappropriate and inconsistent with that faith and, and their interpretation of God's word, then Congress will intervene because Congress knows best. Government knows best. It's not scary that Pelosi believes that. It's scary how many fellow Americans entrust those rights and responsibilities to government. And I applaud, I mean, I'm Baptist, but I applaud the Catholic faith for taking serious the responsibility that faith has to the preservation and protection of human life. I mean, let's give whoever the leadership is. I mean, I think it's an archbishop, if I'm not mistaken, that made that call. Um, And I know I'm sounding facetious here, but I wouldn't be surprised one bit in this world if Pelosi asked for introduction of an ordinance that says no longer does the Catholic Church get to uh, determine who, you know, participates in communion or not, but we, the government, we, the government, know better than, you know, the Baptists, the Methodists, uh, uh, the, 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 the Episcopalians, and, and certainly the Catholics. But I think the Catholic Church deserves somewhat of a thumbs up. So from this Baptist to that Catholic, <laughs> um, thank you for sticking to your guns and, um, and doing something on principle. Take a break. Back in a few minutes. <laughs> 